Hello there, uh, viewer or listener. Uh, this is Mike from the podcast that you are about to listen to. Uh, I just wanted to take a little while to address a couple of things before we start this episode. First of all, uh, we have to address the elephant in the room, which is the ongoing SAG, AFTRA and Writers Guild strikes. Um, it's been up in the air a little bit as to what's been going on, but I have done some due diligence and research. Uh, first of all, it's worth pointing out that myself, my co-host DK, and none of the people who are guests on the podcast are members of uh, any of these organizations, uh, so they wouldn't be considered as being, you know, uh, breaking any of the rules of the organization since they're not a member. But we did want to show our support, so I did want to double check and see what the rules are regarding things here, um, since I know that members and certain other groups are not allowed to promote struck work or are certainly not being encouraged to do that. And I did not want to uh, break any of those rules or, or break any of that sort of good faith with uh, with those organizations. Uh, I've double checked. I, I will leave a link possibly to this article in the description, but I've checked uh, the FAQs from uh, SAG-AFTRA and the Writers Guild as, uh, as referenced on Variety, uh, the, the trade website. Um, they are basically happy to confirm that critics are not on strike and not obligated to stop reviewing movies and TV shows, uh, which I think, I, I mean, I'm under no illusions that we are professional critics, but that is what we're doing here. We're not so much promoting these works as engaging in criticism of them. Hopefully, at least that's how people see it. Um, likewise, you know, uh, if uh, it says if if you want to still do a podcast, the only restrictions are the ones that apply to any medium, which means that SAG after members are not allowed to promote struck work. Uh, otherwise, you can podcast away. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you'll probably not be hearing any interviews on the podcasts with SAG after members, certainly not any promotion of current or upcoming work. We probably won't be doing that anyway. As I said, uh, it should not be considered that we are doing promotion because we're not, we are basically just, uh, you know, th this is independent criticism, essentially, of, of those things. But having said that, I do want to make it clear that we are in full support of both guilds uh, in this particular strike. It's it's not really fair what's been going on. So I did look up as well what, can, uh, what we can potentially do to help with these things and uh, what we can see going forward, you know, to be supportive. Uh, so if you just bear with me, I have some information here. Um, yeah, it just says, you know, uh, you can donate to the Entertainment Community Fund, which is supporting crew members who are out of work. Of course, there are other people besides writers, directors and such who are not able to work because work is stopped at the moment. So they are people who need our help as well. Uh, the unions also encourage non-members that they can show up at picket lines and at rallies. Uh, I suspect that really only applies to those who are in the US. But if you are... As I said, if you follow that uh, link that I will leave in the description, you can also find lists of picket locations and such. And that help, I think, will be greatly appreciated. Uh, yeah, basically, all I can say to that now is, um, you know, I'm, I'm very much aware that the works that we are looking at wouldn't exist without the labour of the writers and actors that are currently on strike and the work being covered here. You know, the people that do it deserve fair treatment and compensation against a system that is not fair at the moment and it, it's it's hugely problematic and i did just want to emphasize you know we are not supporting studios during the strike by doing this and we encourage none of our viewers slash listeners to do the same thing uh this podcast is not being made with any studio provided screeners or material uh, any kind of you know studio notes any influence whatsoever it is just literally a couple of fans and friends talking about the things that they enjoy 
But again, acutely aware that those things only exist because of the hard work of the people who are striking, who are deserving of the things that they're asking for. They're not being unreasonable. And again, do look for any ways potentially you can help or um, show your support. And yeah, I just wanted to emphasize that we are fully in the corner. Everyone on the podcast here, I speak for everyone, including DK. And I think probably all of the upcoming guests, when I say we are fully in support of uh, the Writers Guild and uh, all of the striking organizations against these massive studios who frankly seem a little bit, you know, uh, myopic to say the least. And it says a lot that they seem baffled by why they are not popular. And yet, yeah, um, hopefully there can be a resolution soon, but the only resolution that's going to be any good will be fair treatment for the people that are striking. So we shall wait and see and hope for the best for those of us who enjoy this entertainment. But again, a fair deal is the only way forward. And uh, yeah, that's all I wanted to say about that is this podcast should not be viewed as promotion. It should not be viewed as support for the studios. We definitely stand with SAG-AFTRA and the various guilds. So uh, that's hopefully dealt with that. Uh, as well as that, I've also been uh, sent an email. If you are a listener of the podcast on the um, platform known as Stitcher, unfortunately, that platform ended operations on August the 29th, which you might well know if you've been trying to find it. Uh, if you go to Stitcher, you will usually be forwarded to their sister site, Pandora. Um, but I have been informed that if you go to the actual stitcher.com website, you won't be able to access this podcast anymore or the various lists and things that you were previously able to. Uh, it, you know, it's not a glitch. It's not a problem. Unfortunately, that uh, that particular service has ceased its operation. But as I said, you can. If you aren't automatically forwarded to Pandora, which is their sister app, you can go there yourself. It's also worth pointing out we are available on multiple other platforms. Uh, I won't list them all, but as well as the obvious YouTube and Spotify, pretty much anywhere you get audio podcasts is another place you can find. So uh, I'm sure if you looked around, you'd be able to locate us. I was just told by Stitcher to let our listeners know that uh, unfortunately they are no longer functioning. So yeah, with all of that uh, sort of boring and unpleasant stuff out of the way, uh, let's get on with uh, this episode. And yeah, if you're listening to the Hit or Miss Star Trek uh, podcast, we are going to open with a pleasant surprise from first time, uh, first time podcast guest, but previous quiz show guest, Jeremy Duncan, who has provided us with uh, a, a fantastic musical treat to open the episode. So without further ado, enjoy Jeremy Duncan's. <clears throat> and now to
hailing frequencies are open, fellow warriors, for the return of our Klingon-themed review series. Welcome back to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. I am your usual host, Captain Mike Wilson, <laughs> or for the purposes of this week's review, Mr. Pellier, because come on, it's Carol Kane. <laughs> but I'm sure we'll get there later. So yeah, um, we are back after our brief uh, little hiatus that we had mid-season to accommodate our other podcast and hopefully give you a chance to listen to our Top 10 Alien Ships episode, which if you haven't, please do. It'll uh, still be on the the channel. Uh, and I did have a few people who commented and said they liked it. There was a couple of people annoyed that their favourite ship didn't make it. Certainly the uh, a couple of the Klingon ones that didn't make the list were upsetting some people, I think, but not in a huge way. It was just, you know, uh, <laughs> there's always going to be fans of things we couldn't fit in. And I think we did a great episode, so hopefully you can all enjoy that. Um, as far as this week goes, we are going to, as you'll have seen by the thumbnail and the description here, we're going to be reviewing our first episode of Strange New Worlds, because when I did the schedule for this Klingon-based season, there hadn't been an episode of Strange New Worlds with the Klingons in, and then season two happened, and what do you know, the very first episode of the season, there they were, familiar, bumpy-headed, angry Klingons, so I thought, okay, we'll chuck that into the schedule and try to review it, so that's what we're looking at today. But I'm not uh, going to be doing this alone, as hopefully you will always realize. Uh, unfortunately, my usual co-host, DK, is not going to be able to make it for us today. He had planned to, but unfortunately, he uh, he had a negative reaction to Mbenga's stimulant uh, when he was trying to take on a bunch of Klingons. So, yeah, he's... Uh, no, but in all seriousness, he is quite ill and bedbound. So hopefully get better soon, DK, although... By the time this goes out, hopefully you will be better or we're in deep trouble. But yeah, <laughs> so he's unfortunately going to have to sit this one out. But I am joined by effectively my other regular co-host. She's been on here so often. She knows the ropes. Uh, welcome back, please. Sandra Evanson to the podcast. I would like the podcast to start now. <laughs> Legendary. That was your thing, was it? I should have opened with hit it, but I didn't think. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and we are joined by a very special guest, a first-time guest to the podcast proper, though you will have uh, sort of experienced him, so to speak, if you watched our one-off Star Trek Jeopardy special, which he stormed to victory in. Uh, welcome back, Jeremy Duncan. <laughs> Jeremy, welcome. Hello. <laughs> so uh, you, this is your first time properly on the podcast. Are you nervous? Because yeah, no, I know you're expecting it. I'm just excited. <laughs> Cool, cool, cool. Awesome. Well, uh, if you don't know, uh, for the purposes of Jeremy, who's a first-time guest, and for any listener who might be tuning in for the first time, maybe they're a fan of Jeremy's. I don't know. Maybe we've lost all the fans of DK. Let's hope not. But yeah, so if you are a first-timer, this podcast basically breaks down into sections, uh, which I give little nerdy names. The first section will be basically getting to know you for Jeremy, because we already know all about Sandra, so it's going to be asking him some some things about his own fandom and his love for Star Trek that we now know he has. Uh, the second section will be the hit or miss section that gives the podcast its name, where I basically throw up a bunch of random things that the guest and in this case co-host don't know about and ask if they think it's a hit or a miss. And then we debate that back and forth. And uh, the final main section will be the actual episode review where we'll review, as I said, The Broken Circle, which was the first episode of season two of Strange New Worlds. So... <laughs> With all that out of the way and settled then we're going to jump into our first section, the little getting to know you thing, which I rather geekily call Hailing Frequencies Open. <laughs> so... uh, hailing Frequencies Open, sir. So, Jeremy, this is basically the section where, when it comes to new guests, we like to ask you your sort of in intro to Star Trek and what you, what you like and dislike maybe about it. And uh, I've given Sandra a couple of questions because I don't want it to be just me talking and interrogating you the whole time. Uh, you know, we, we all know you can see five lights. So, <laughs> so yes. Sandra, I believe you have the first question that you were going to ask Jeremy in this, in this <laughs> hold round on, of questions. Hold on, hold on, hold on. If you reference the five lights, then I must 
I must say, you are six years old. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Okay, sorry. I can't understand, Jeremy, how you could be so mistaken. <laughs> okay, okay. Go for it, Sandra. What's the first question? Okay, <laughs> so, Jeremy, bear me. Mm-hmm. What first got you into Star Trek? Uh, what was your first experience? Kind of what grabbed you about Star Trek? Uh, my mom and my dad loved Star Trek. And when I was about uh, uh, in the womb, they started exposing me to it. Um, <laughs> so I absolutely love it. The first memory I have of an episode of Star Trek is either the end of a mock time where uh, Spock is dejected that Kirk is dead. And then he goes, oh, won't you want to ask me something about it? And then he goes, Jim, you know, that, that wonderful yeah. elation. Uh, or um, the, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the episode, but the one um, where Spock, it's in season. No, I'm not going to commit it to a season, but it's the one where the actress who plays Pulaski uh, mm-hmm. plays uh, like uh, plays an ambassador for, um, for, for this, uh, you're this looking country. for. Is there in truth no beauty? From yes, in yeah. truth no beauty. The scene where they uh, they opened up the casket for the first time. Those are my first yeah. memories of Star Trek, um, and I love the original series. Watched it all the time. We I've gotten to a point where my uh, my family and I we will sing the Star Trek cues to each other. Like <laughs> if somebody's morose, we'll go, you know, things like that. I love that, um, but also. I watched Star Trek Next Generation at around the same time as well. Um, I remember my favorite episode of that one being the one where time uh, was frozen between a uh, Romulan and uh, mm. in Starfleet encounter. And, you know, Picard couldn't handle the strain of it. And he drew a smiley face in the in the, in the gas cloud. <laughs> yeah, the warp core explosion you do a little something like That was Timescape. Timescape, yes. The second to last episode in season six. Yes, yes. I, I love that show as well. And then I got obsessed with Voyager for quite some time. I really love Voyager. My favorite character immediately was the emergency medical hologram. Um, ah. He is just, he stole my heart and he's had it ever since. Um, and cool. then... Did you, um, sorry to interrupt, but did you see the little preview clip from uh, Prodigy season two that they had uh, released? Uh, I'm afraid I didn't. I haven't gotten around to watching a lot of Prodigy. I've watched the, f- I watched up to the mid-season finale to where, uh, okay, you know, we can't go back. We can't go back. That's a, that's about as far as I was able to get before cool. it was taken away. I only mention it because um, they revealed in that little clip that the holographic Doctor is joining them next season if oh, that's and when awesome. it gets picked up. So Robert Picardo was back voicing the character and he was there meeting the characters. And yet another reason why we have to save Star Trek Prodigy, damn it, it's so good. Yes. <laughs> also, I haven't seen it all yet. So <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of time. I mean, yeah. we don't know if the if there's even a home for season two yet, but... Yeah, yeah, I just I love that show. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, going back to my Star Trek journey, then, um, then I think I didn't really. I mean, and I watched Deep Space Nine in passing, and I watched Enterprise in passing, but at that point, I hadn't really, um, I hadn't really made an effort to watch it all. But then the 2009 Star Trek movie came out, and mm-hmm. I loved that thing. Uh, the, the musical score for that movie is just incredible. It sent shivers down my spine. It, it was so good. Uh, Into Darkness disappointed me immeasurably. 
Um, and then after that, I started getting into other Star Treks and started watching Deep Space Nine with my uncle. And uh, sadly, he passed away about halfway through. Uh, and I finished watching it with my mother. But it, it's always been a special show to me. I think it's my favorite Star Trek show um, because it, it talks more about the morally gray situations that you can find yourself in, especially when surrounding war and surrounding occupations and just the ethical questions. And Next Generation did that a little bit, but Deep Space Nine really doesn't shy away from showing their characters in the wrong, from, uh, from you know, just telling stories that don't necessarily make you admire the crew. And I mm. love that. I absolutely love that. Cool. And then after that, I, I watched all of Enterprise, and I really liked Enterprise. And not the last episode, but I liked everything else. It was just a way, I think, for them to try and wrap things up in the laziest way possible by just making this last episode a holographic projection. However, that does give us an out to say that perhaps Trip didn't really die, you know. And then oh, yeah. It, it, oh, we've all read the books. Words. We know he didn't really yeah, die. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I personally think that they could just reboot Enterprise or re revive it and just do one or two more seasons as a limited series. That's what I thought that they should have done when Paramount Plus oh, yeah. got the rights to Star Trek. In order to get people on board before they did something new, they could have finished up their last one. Uh, anyway, mm. anyway. But yeah, uh, I love all of those. I had a hard time getting into Discovery, but I ended up loving seasons three and four. Okay. Um, and then uh, season, uh, or then Strange New Worlds, I adore it. And Picard, I had a lot of fun watching Picard. So yeah. Okay. And we know that you haven't yet finished Prodigy, and I'm assuming Lower Decks is just a... Oh, I love Lower Decks as well. I just haven't okay. mentioned it. Uh, I love it. <laughs> um, I cannot wait for season four. It looks so mm. good. It's, it always looks good. I'm, I love that show. So, yeah, fair enough. Awesome. Well, that was a very comprehensive answer to the first question. So I dread to think what's going to happen now because I have the second no. question, which is if you had to pick three episodes or movies to show someone that you think represents the very best of the Star Trek franchise, what would they be and why? Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan. Star yeah, Trek, Deep Space obvious. Nine, The Visitor. Okay. And... Um, The episode of Enterprise where Malcolm and Trip are stuck inside a shuttle pod. Shuttle pod one. I love that episode. Yeah. <laughs> that is such a good episode of Star Trek. It's for a bottle show as well. It's just incredible. Yeah, I fully agree. That's three fantastic choices, I have to say. And quicker than most people have actually given their answers. It's usually a lot more dawdling. So, yeah, congrats. <laughs> so, uh, I was not expecting that to be so quick, but those were fantastic answers. and I Had to make up for the lost time. I was going to say, you, I, I tend to ask a reason why. I, I know, obviously, as a fan, why you would pick those three, but what would you say were the reasons why? The character work. The character yeah. work in all three of them. I think Trek is at its strongest when it focuses on the characters inside its world. Um, of course, the morals and the messages and the themes that it purports are important as well, but oftentimes when they're able to line those up with the actual characters. Mm -hmm. For instance, Wrath of Khan, it's not really about the death of Spock. It's about death. Hmm. Wrath of Khan is about death and about coming to terms with your mortality. And that's yeah. what the whole thing is for Kirk, the whole thing for Khan. The whole point of that is mortality. And in a, in a weird way, Shuttlepod 1. 
is also one. Well, yeah, uh, exactly, because they, I mean, they were facing imminent death. They didn't know they were getting rescued, yeah. so that was very much the same yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And the visitor is all about the love between a father and a son. And it's when about does facing love... death in a different way, isn't it? It's yeah. about facing death from the perspective of the one left behind, really. Yeah, from grief. Yeah, and it's also talking about when grief becomes an obsession, mm. uh, because I think that's the most tragic thing about the visitor is that grief overtook Jake, and mm. it ruined his life. And um, we are all very thankful and grateful that Jake knew that he was the, the rubber band that could snap the captain back to the time that he belonged in. But at the same time, a part of you really wishes that he would have just given up and just lived his life because he lost everything because of that obsession. Yeah. You know, and that, yeah, that, that's one of the best scenes and one of the greatest scenes, I think, for Ben Sisko as a character is when you see that he he genuinely is devastated that Jake like has, has devoted himself to this and just wants him to live his life. And even though he has mm -hmm. like that brief window, he's like, look, let me go. You've got a wife, you've got a life of your own, please live and stop obsessing over this. But as I say, the tragedy of that is of course that he doesn't. So yeah. But yeah, as I said, it's the character work that makes it, that makes it what it is. Mm. Character work has always been the most important thing in Star Trek. This is the last thing I'll say about this before we move on. Um, one good. of my favorite moments in all of Star Trek is in Plato's Stepchildren. Um, in that story, there's a scene where Spock talks about the anger that he feels towards them for forcing him to feel and forcing him to do things and that he does not wish to do. And um, Spock says, Doctor, sometimes the healthy release of emotions is most unhealthy for those around you. Yeah. And it is one of the deepest moments in the original series. And just because it's in an episode where Captain Kirk acts like a horse, nobody thinks about it. But, you know, <laughs> it's a it's it's a great moment. And Trek is littered with those moments, even in the most interestingly odd episodes. Yeah, I'm, I'll get into it later because there's a little bit of that. I love any time that they delve into that whole situation with Spock. And that does happen in the, in the Broken Circle as well. So I'm oh, sure yes. I'll mention it, but. Yeah, I love all that. Those are fantastic answers. So, yeah, Sandra, you have the third question, I believe, for Jeremy now as well. Indeed, I do. This is going to be a fun one. Okay. What is what would you consider if you if you had to pick back against the wall? What is your favorite Trek series, and do you have any standout favorite characters? Well, as I said, it's Deep Space Nine. Uh, favorite characters: uh, Ben Cisco, Jake Cisco, Miles O'Brien. Um, I think as well. Kira was a character who I initially disliked um, when I first watched it. But as soon as I hit the episode duet, oh, duet, mm. oh, duet. You're, you're just naming all of the best, man. <laughs> I just wish that I could I could have revised my answer from last time and include duet for the very yeah. same reason. Because, you know, that's the episode where Kira really learns to empathize with the Cardassians. Yeah. And, oh, that, um, that last line. He was Cardassian. That's enough. No, it isn't. Oh. Uh huh. <laughs> it's a wonderful story, and that made me love Kira as well. And she grew on me. Um, I, I really like all the characters. Yeah, but if I have to stop myself somewhere, and I'm going to stop myself. <laughs> That's fair enough. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I can't really fault that. And uh, yeah, as a DS line fan, you obviously picked all favorite characters from that show. I'm not bitter at all, but never mind. <laughs> now, even as somebody who doesn't appreciate like a lot of the aspects of DS line that you like, I have heard that a lot, and I love that other people are taking little bits away from uh, from that that they do like, even if I don't agree with it. Um, which I'm sure I could debate another time, but yeah, 
Okay, what, to quote Columbo, just one more thing, man. Just, just one more thing. Um, uh, There's one other Deep Space Nine episode, which I wish that I had talked about, which was the episode where there was the infant changeling in the shuttlecraft, and they were fighting over yeah. it, and then it died. I think that is one of the most heartbreaking and best episodes of Star Trek, because it's just such a gut punch, and sometimes the gut punch episodes are the best. Yeah, definitely. See, I like a lot of those, but mine would all be from uh, my own favorite series, which would tend to be Next Gen and Voyager. So I'd be naming oh, things like yes. The Offspring as a gut punch episode. Um, oh, yeah. Data makes a daughter who then has to die, kind of thing, you know. Or, yeah. um, I can't think of any. There's loads that you would should pop into my mind, but I can't think of them right now. But, but enough rambling from me. So the final question then is, with this being a kind of Klingon-themed series of reviews, do you have any favorite Klingon episodes or stories or arcs yourself that uh, that you would shout out? Oh, yes. Um, one of the episodes right before the end of Deep Space Nine, where uh, Worf challenges Galron and he kills Galron, is one of my oh, yeah. absolute favorites. Um, <laughs> I also really, really like the episode where um, where Worf goes on a spiritual journey and he finds Kaelas, you know? The, the Kaelas, which was a clone grown by uh, by by the Klingons themselves. We all hated I, that. That came up actually earlier in the season and we were not fans. The reason I like it is because the, it draws attention to the fact that Worf is more in tune with the Klingon need or the needs of the Klingon race than the entire High Council. I mm. like that story because it, it actually feeds into a theory of mine that Worf is the realization or the incarnation of Kaelas. Because... Mm. Worf is the truest extent of a Klingon who actually practices what the Klingons preach. Because you see that time and time again in all the Klingon episodes. Most every Klingon is a hypocrite. Like people. Because we're all people and we're all hypocrites, yeah. you know? And, but for the Klingons, they constantly talk about death and honor and glory. But they never talk about why they uh why they are that way and Worf is the only one who ever asked well why is this the way it is why is this that and Worf ends up uniting the entire Klingon empire time after time after time due to sacrifices that he makes or actions that he takes so I personally think that he's probably the closest thing to Kaelas that the Klingons will ever get and that's what wow. that episode showed me that's a mighty headcanon. I love it. <laughs> awesome. That's cool. I could honestly do just talk about all of this for about an entire length of a podcast. Upon. Oh, we need to get to the broken circle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we have to get to the hit or miss section first. So that's going to be, uh, uh, you know, an experience and a half because it's your first time doing that. And I haven't done one of these for a while, but I have it prepped and ready. And uh, Sandra, are you ready for to be interrogated a little bit on this one? <laughs> <laughs> I am, but I'm relying on Jeremy's excellent encyclopedic knowledge of it to remind me <laughs> The context behind these things, that's usually my trouble. That's fair enough. Well, what it is, if you are, again, new to the podcast and for the purposes of Jeremy, I'm just going to pop up uh, six random things. Hopefully we'll get to all six from anything in the Star Trek universe. And I'm going to just simply tell you what it is, put a picture up on screen and ask if you think it's a hit or a miss. A little bit of an explanation as to why. Uh, we're going to ask Jeremy first as the guest, then Sandra, then myself, and then we'll hopefully come to a consensus. Uh, keeping it, you know, we always keep it nice, even if people disagree. So there shouldn't be any issue there. Uh, although we might have an issue with Sandra remembering what the actual <laughs> things are that we're going <laughs> to. Pop exactly. up. So um, it, it can vary. It can be ships, characters, episodes, etc. Uh, and I try to, because this is a Klingon theme series, I do try to mix in quite a few Klingon stuff. Not entirely, because I don't want it to be completely sweeping the hit or miss section, but that'll be why you see a few Klingon related things popping in. What about my performance? I'm not a drama critic. 
So the first thing on the section for this uh, particular episode then is a ship, and it is Klingon-themed. So hit or miss the Klingon sarcophagus ship, a.k.a. the Ship of the Dead from the first season of Discovery. And uh, Jeremy, we're coming to you first as the guest. Would you say it's a hit or a miss? Well, as much as I love Star Trek, there are some things which don't quite work, and this is one of them. Uh, it's it's a miss for me, mainly because it does not resemble any other kind of Klingon ship near enough. It just okay. looks it looks like a different alien species should own this ship. Right. Yeah, I think that was the case with a lot of Discovery's early designs. Um, I can't really disagree with you on that one, but I'll get to my thoughts uh, in a moment. But uh, what about you, Sandra? Would you say hit or a miss? I also thought it was a miss, and um, I wasn't sure why, but I do agree. Like, the interior was very stage-like. Yeah. It, it just definitely didn't feel very Klingon. But then also, you know, remembering that was our first introduction to all the Klingons, and I think there was just, um, or, you know, for the series, and I think there was just already a bad taste in everybody's mouth, like, whoa, what mm. is this? Um, that kind of went along with it. Just they were maybe changed a bit too much in that first episode. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, weirdly, I was gonna, I was gonna say, and I'll stick to it because uh, I won't be swayed. I was gonna say a soft hit, like not, not a full hit, but I liked it. Not, I can't disagree with you that the design is way too unklingon. But I'll be honest, it's the the least of the unklingon klingon designs, if you know what I mean. Because a lot of the other ones in Discovery were far worse. So at least I can vaguely see kind of klingon shapes in this one. But what really sold me was just the general idea, because it's kind of. It's unexpected for Star Trek, and yet it kind of fits for me the idea of the Klingons that they would be, they would have a ship to honor the dead, and they'd have a ship that was just made up of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like sarcophagi, basically, uh, well, uh, with dead concept, Klingons in you. Yeah. Apologies to interrupt, but the concept is admirable. I liked the concept. Yeah. It's just, I yeah, thought yeah. we were talking specifically about the ship design. Okay, uh, fair enough. Yeah. yeah, but if we're talking the concept, then I guess I would have to say soft hit as well, because, yeah. you know, Having a ship to honor the dead is excellent, but then what they do with it is definitely not. Anyway, uh, yeah. no, I'm with you, and I think it's kind of annoying because I wish that had been it had been a better kind of special effect and a better way of portraying that. Because there are scenes when they when they send out the corpse of of Redjack, the torchbearer, and you first see the way that he's kind of a, deployed, I guess, onto the hull and stuff. That's really cool, but again, you can barely see it because it's in that first season where everything's overly dark and moody so you know it would have been if you can imagine that in a kind of uh tng era situation that would have been a really cool scene but i still got the, what they were going for but like i said that's why it's a soft hit because for me again in the execution it just fell a little tiny bit flat but good ideas anyway <laughs> so mm -hmm. i think we can uh, we'll probably go ahead and just call that a miss but just i think <laughs> overall um let me see if i can find the second thing then so uh the second thing on my list for today is an episode and again, it is Klingon related. It's an episode of Voyager, uh, and it is the first season episode, Faces. And if you guys need to uh, remembering about what this episode was, then by all means, let me know and I'll tell you. <laughs> Jeremy, are you familiar with this one? I am familiar with this one, and um, it's fine. Uh, like, <laughs> the thing is, I think Voyager was very weak when it began with the character work. Right. So whenever they tried... Like this, I, I had to give it respect, you know, because like Voyager usually in the earlier seasons would be like, oh, yes, new character trait. We just learned Harry Kim plays 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 an instrument. That's not a character trait. That's a thing that he does. You know, 
that's completely different. A character trait is, is this person afraid or does this person have to, um, do they have a prejudice that they have to overcome or does this person have something that they deal with on the ship relationship wise that they used to struggling with. That's what makes you remember a character, not, Oh, he yeah. plays oboe and Oh, this one really likes old TV, you know, like, but at the same time, this story, it's a trope that's done to death. But I, I, I think that Voyager does it well in this story. So it's kind of a soft hit. Okay, cool, cool, cool. We'll probably come back to you for some more thoughts if you have any. But uh, what about you then, Sandra? Would you say hit or a miss? And do you remember the episode first of all? Yes, I do remember it now. Um, I thought it was a hit because of um, the whole Klingon, half Klingon, half human fight that we always saw. Um, Bellona. Spock. Well, yeah, that we always saw Spock kind of dealing oh, with in his, feeling. yeah, and um, and then also how it related to Worf's human upbringing and the things that he was facing, and I just thought it was kind of a good soup of all of that stuff. So I liked that. I don't remember a whole lot else about the episode, but based on my memory of that, I would um, also soft hit. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I'll probably be the most vocally uh, positive then because I just love this. So I would, I was going to say hit for me because I, I'm a big fan of Voyager from the start, basically, <laughs> unlike unlike you by the sounds of it, Jeremy. So I kind of loved it and I loved bits and pieces of the character work. And this is one of the stronger ones because Roxanne Dawson is a fantastic actress and I love the way she plays both the kind of Klingon Bellana who's disgusted at her other self and the human one who kind of has little tender moments like touching her head which now doesn't have ridges and remembering kind of like blaming herself for her father leaving because she was too Klingon and things like that coming up and I thought that was actually some really great character work in the episode um, and I think it was a good use of the Vidians who they'd already kind of introduced and you know, they'd, they'd done the one kind of thing that you could do with them, which was, you know, they stole an organ, what are you going to do? And I was like, oh, well, when this species comes back, what are we doing now? So it was kind of nice the way they folded them in. And it's it's almost got nothing to do with the sort of overall plot, but I will say it, it's a little thing, but I love the idea that they cast the same actor to play the lead Vidian doctor and the Starfleet officer who gets taken in. So that at the point when he kind of like steals the guy's face and puts it on, it's the same actor. So you can get away with that. Mm -hmm. And it looks, it yeah. adds so much more to the grossness of like, oh, you're wearing that guy's face, which I really appreciate. Yeah. As well. <laughs> I, I like the Vidians. They're a really weird, scary villain. Uh, Voyager yeah. was had the best villains. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. the Kazon were just basically, you know, <laughs> low budget uh, Klingons, but the otherwise. Kazon are Kazon, and they are good anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'll let you off. Okay. I, I, I will say it probably took a, you know, a Cardassian spy to make them interesting, but you would probably disagree. So, yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool. I think we all liked it anyway, then this episode faces. So, I'm going to go ahead and call yeah. that a hit as well. So, yeah. I love uh, Roxanne Dawson just in general. Every Balana episode of Voyager, I think, was great. As I mentioned when we reviewed, um, what was it again? This season, it was Barge of the Dead that we reviewed earlier. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> yeah, oh, it really is. <laughs> so the third thing on the list for today is not Klingon related, uh, but it does relate to Strange New Worlds, weirdly enough. So it's a character, uh, although it doesn't just relate to Strange New Worlds, I suppose there is a bit of a TOS vibe. So hit or miss for the character of Lieutenant Commander Una Chain Riley, a.k.a. number one. Jeremy, what are your thoughts? If you had asked me during season one, I would have said miss. But since we have the context of Ad Astra Paraspera, or, or mm -hmm. if that's how it goes, then that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Then I would say big hit. 
big, mm-hmm. big hit because her character should have had an episode more focused on herself because I don't think that the Illyrian episode from yeah. season one was enough. No, um, I agree. And so this story introduced who the character really was. And it it's played so well by Rebecca Romaine. Uh, mm. it, it is a wonderful character. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. Uh, what about you, Sandra? Would you say a hit or miss for the character? I relate that. A big hit for me. Uh, contrary to you know, how I feel about the non-platonic relationship developing between uh, Nurse Chapel and Spock. I love the deep platonic relationship between Una and Pike. And, yeah. you know, we just, we just don't get that that often. And so just from the very beginning, there was just like a lot of respect for her shown. And um, I immediately liked every single character in, in Strange New Worlds, but I really did like mm-hmm. Una. Uh, and her portrayal by Re- Rebecca remains just really great. Fantastic. I mean, to, to your point, that kind of relationship between Pike and Una, even though it's horrifically sexist, is even present in the cage when he's like, I can't get comfortable with a woman on the bridge. But of course, number one, you know, you're different. So you kind of get the sense of like, there's some kind of bond between the two of them even then. As I say, yeah. it's not particularly handled well. But <laughs> okay, it's okay. Sorry. Tiny rabbit hole uh, about that. I always thought that would have been a very interesting thing to explore. Like that Pike yeah. is slightly, because Pike seems like he has basically no flaws except for a fear of commitment. Uh, and mm. so I feel like it would have been interesting had they had just a little bit of that sexism in his character and had him work it out throughout the season, throughout the series, you know, to give him a bit of yeah. a journey. But I suppose showing himself his impending doom is also a pretty good character arc. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think it would it would fly because it would it would make the character I think too unlikable in this day and age. And I suppose so, but yeah. it would have been good for him to like. I don't know. I, I, it's just going to be jarring whenever we go back to the cage now, because well, it is, but it's one of those things you kind of have to hand wave away, like with so many of the early TOS, where you're just like, I suppose being, so. Yeah, I just <laughs> there's forget. an episode, one of I the just, first episodes yeah. when um, Spock says that. What was it? Oh, um, just because one of my ancestors happened to marry a human. And I watch that now and I'm like, your dad married your mom. <laughs> to be fair, that sounds like a very Spock thing for him to say, especially if he doesn't know Kirk very well. He's like trying to, you know, wave away his human heritage. He's like, oh, one of my ancestors. Well, he's technically correct, you know. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Which is Sorry, kind of you. correct. Ah, nice Futurama reference. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I, I, I'm obsessed with the cage and always have been, even though I recognize a lot of the kind of, like I said, problematic aspects of 60s television in there. But I think for what it is, I think it's fantastic. And it's one of my favorite Trek episodes. And I've always lamented the fact that it was rejected by the network as, you know, oh, nobody's going to like this. It's too cerebral. Give us a bunch of action. And then we got that ridiculous, oh, we've gone past the galactic barrier and developed psychic superpowers, which for me is a much worse pilot. Oh, but okay. Where No Man Has Gone Before is just trash. I'm sorry. It's one of the <laughs> exactly, new yeah. TOS episodes I really don't like. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of continuity errors where he has the grave marked James R. Kirk, which you also have to hand with. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, but yeah, so I love the character anyway, because, well, I mean, it was Michelle Barrett, so you're, you're automatically on you know good terms with me by casting... Michelle as any character so and I think mm-hmm. she portrayed her really well and there was something fascinating but the problem Strange New Worlds had and which it's thankfully sidestepped is 
the, all the character traits that were number ones in the cage eventually were given to Spock when it was picked up for series because they were told by the network we don't want a female first officer, it's too much in this day and age, whatever. So the cold, calculating, computer-like stuff was all pushed onto Spock. And it's hard to have two characters that are basically that. And so when Strange New Worlds came out, I was like, this is going to be interesting to see how they thread this needle. And what they've actually done is fascinating because they've kind of brought both of them to almost an equilibrium middle point where Spock's not quite fully, you know, computer-like and fully logical yet, but we're seeing how he could end up there. And number one was there and has gradually become more and more open with her feelings and more human because she's, it turns out, you know, she was reserved because of this huge secret. And now she's realized keeping that secret was the reason that she didn't open up and closed herself off and... Ironically, one of the favorite moments in the musical is when she basically discusses with Kirk. I, I made that mistake and I kept closed off. And the best thing you can do is connect to your crew. And now I've learned this. And Or even when she's singing with La'an and says, you know, keeping secrets is, is terrible. I did it for years and it did me no good. And now that mm -hmm. it's out, I'm finally able to open up. And I was like, this is such good. Nobody will give it credit among the haters, but it's such good writing for developing parts of a character who is like 60 years old. And you're like, okay, we have to move her away from everything you know about her. But we're going to do it subtly and then hopefully, you know, move you into a place where you can understand why when TOS launches, Spock will now be that cold logical computer. And number one will hopefully get more of a character, which he has. And as he said, I I'm with you. I think for season one, I was just desperate for it to get an episode which showed something. And I was waiting for Ad Astra per Aspera, as it turns out, because then when it aired, I was like 10 out of 10 episode. I absolutely flip and love this episode. It's fantastic. And that explained everything for me. And then, like I said, even the rest of the season didn't give her a lot to do. But even in the little moments, it was explaining why she was, you know, like I said, opening up a little bit more. And I like that. So hopefully we'll see more of her in season two. I like the moment in the uh, in the Lower Decks crossover where, where Boimler finally told her why he was so nervous around her because he idolized yeah. her. And that was so sweet. Yes, yeah. it was. Yeah. And as, as a complete sucker for real-life situations, I just love the fact that her actual husband had to call her the hottest first officer in Starfleet. Uh, yes, <laughs> <And> was... <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I get what you did there, Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. That's a pretty solid hit, I would say, for uh, for number one. So hopefully my rambling didn't put anybody too far off. I got down a bit of a rabbit hole there. Um, the next one is another ship then, just quickly, and it is Klingon-based again. And it was one of the ones that was lamented that it didn't make our top Alien Ships episode. So hit or miss for the Vorcha class, Jeremy. Hit. It's a great, okay. uh, it, it's a very great adaptation of a classic design for uh, the next generation of Star Trek. It's great. Cool. And for, what about you, Sandra? I think hit just based on the aesthetics and that I can't find any other fault with it. <laughs> I'm going to say, I, I do think it's a hit, but I think it's a soft hit for me. And I can understand why it didn't make the list against the likes of the Bird of Prey, the D7 and the Katinga, because there's something a little bit to me just too plasticky almost about it, if that makes sense. And it doesn't look quite as solid or rigid as the older you know, designs that feel lived in and metal and like, you know, which makes sense. I mean, it's the next gen era. So even Starfleet tech and stuff was very comfortable. I get that even the Klingon designs would be a little bit smoother, but they're Klingons. I, I don't love that it's, you know, it looks very sterile to me. But again, the design at least keeps the kind of key battlecruiser elements and it's still recognizably Klingon, unlike, as we mentioned, like the season one Discovery ships where you just start throwing shapes against the wall <laughs> and see them on sticks. Mm -hmm. So I still think it's a hit for me, but for me, it's a soft hit and not as good as the uh, the classic ones. Yeah. Thoughts on that, Jeremy? You sound like you were having, a, having agreement or disagreement with me there. <laughs> oh, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. 
it's just, you know, when it comes to the ships uh, of Trek, I kind of connected more to next gen, really, mm. of the, the designs that I liked. So it's just kind of a bias, I think. But yeah, That's fine. I understand yeah. why it's just a soft hit for you, though. Cool. Fair enough. Back to Strange New Worlds. So hit or miss for the character of Captain Angel. And I've just watched this episode, so it's fresh in my mind. So, Jeremy, what about you? I love Captain Angel. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. The charisma they have. The charisma I know, right? Is incredible. I absolutely love it. Um, also, related to Cybok, my favorite Vulcan other than yes. Spock. And so, I mean, that's what my, my Discord name is based off of, if you didn't know. A laughing Vulcan? Oh, anyway, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, you know, I, I love it. Absolutely love yeah. it. Yeah, I, I love them as well. It's absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, but I'll get into it. Sandra, what about you? <laughs> what do you think? Um, I also thought big hit, and I, I know what you're going to go into. You loved their soliloquy, but I also loved that the nature <laughs> of this person it wasn't even discussed or an itch, issue, what, what their nature mm. was or or anything about them. It was just all about the character and they just yeah. were because this is a time when that sort of thing is so commonplace and not discussed, you know, where we want our world to be. Uh, yeah. Do you mean with regards so, to the character being like non-binary basically? Exactly, yeah. yeah. It, oh, yeah. If, if they even were, because we don't the, know. Well, it they were, matter. but uh, that's the thing. I've looked it up and the actor who plays the role does use she, her pronouns, though she is trans. And the character, though, is non-binary oh, okay. and uses they, them pronouns, oh, which yeah. is, it's weird to get that confused and keep it straight in your head. But I was like, okay, I'll, I'll try and bear that in mind. So, because you want to pay respect to both. But um, yeah, it was very unclear because the thing is that they were imitating a different person when they first came on board who was also a non-binary. And I was like, yeah. oh, so was that part of the ruse or are you actually, <laughs> you know? So, but no, it's it's clear enough when you actually watch the episode and, and you care. But no, I, I mean, I was going to say, the soliloquy you're talking about was probably when they go into, like, you know, people want to always put you in boxes to Spock and things like that. And right. I'm guessing that's what you're talking about, yeah? <laughs> yeah. I do like that scene, but overall, it's not even the thing that I like most about the character. I just love that Star Trek hasn't really had this good and charismatic of a villain in years. Yes. Like, <laughs> like they are genuinely a fantastic foil for the crew. They are evil, but absolutely having fun with it, if you know what I mean. Like, they probably wouldn't regard themselves as evil, but they are just having the absolute time of their life, like, sitting in the captain's chair with absolute glee of, like, this is my ship now. What are you going to do about it? It's just, and like you said, it's just that, that sheer charm and everything. You can see how they would lead this gang of pirates and get away with it, even though we see that they're kind of like a rabble when Pike and uh, the rest of the crew get captured. But you're like, yeah, I can imagine that these people would fall in line, and I can imagine, you know, why Cyborg would have a connection even with them. And I really want to see them again because there's got to be a reason they escaped, right? At the end I'm of that sure episode. We'll see them again. Yeah, I hope so, man. I just think that performance was absolutely top notch. And like I said, for a villain performance, it's something that it's really hard to get right. And like I said, the only things that spring to mind are like Q maybe has a bit of that playful, loving, being naughty, I guess, think about him. But it's, yeah, Star Trek notoriously has a bit of a struggle with that. Massive hit, it's going to look like overall then for. For Captain Angel. And the last thing is, again, Strange New Worlds related because I just had to throw it in since it has now aired. Hit or miss for the episode. Those old scientists, Jeremy. <laughs> Massive hit. Massive hit. I love it. I love it a lot. Um, it's very respectful to the characters of Lower Decks. Uh, mm -hmm. They feel as though 
they are not in any way, shape, or form uh, playing caricatures of their animated selves. Um, I, it just felt like they were ripped straight out of the show and put into live action. There's no yeah. other way to put it. And it was done with such love and such care that it just feels perfect. It is yeah. probably my favorite episode. Now, what I wish would have happened, can you imagine if this happened at the same time as Subspace Rhapsody? I know, Bo right? <laughs> Boimler would be losing his mind. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that aside, I do think that this is a wonderful episode. Um, and I really like that we get to see a side of Pike that we don't get to see so often, which is him being aggravated to the point of... Uh, popping a blood vessel almost with these two. Um, yeah. I, I really enjoyed that he was frustrated with them. And also that scene where he's like, yeah, no, I know about my fate. And they're like, wait, you know? <laughs> and uh, Yeah, I'm with you. I, I saw a lot of criticism from the usual, you know, corners, not to start naming names, but that were like, um, well, these characters act like cartoon characters. And I'm like, do they? I mean, they act like themselves. But I wouldn't say that, like you said, they're not over the top and cartoonish as such. It's clearly you didn't get to know kind of obnoxious uh, teenagers to early twenties yeah. people in your life. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Awesome. What about you, Sandra? Would you say hit or miss for the episode? <laughs> also, uh, I really loved it. Big hit for me. Um, I like. I, I really thought they did fit in the uh, style of humor that was in this episode. Mm -hmm. It still fit, even with the serious nature of previous episodes of Strange New Worlds. You know, it wasn't that much of a stretch. Uh, Worf's honor. It was so funny. Yeah, awesome. No, and I agree. And I was going to say one of the things. Like I loved it, and I was always going to love it because I love both of the shows. But I love that they they did what I expected, which was to get the humor in and get all the jokes and the lower decks references. But what I wasn't expecting was that it would literally end up being key to the kind of dramatic line of the season for the characters. Like it's because of Boimler that Chapel realizes that her and Spock have no future. And you would never have guessed that like this hilarious kind of oh knockabout guy from the future coming to give you a comedy episode would effectively change the dynamics of all those relationships. Like I said, it's the one that basically lets Pike know. You might know your fate and think you're doomed, but you are loved and you are going to become a legend, you know, when he hears that um, Boimler dressed up as him for Halloween. You know, yeah. had, to, had to contour the heck out of the jawline, but, you know, and it's like, I really, I've been desperate for something like that since Pike first learned his fate, because I'm like, you've got to remember, let him know at least that, you know, even though the worst may well happen, you'll be remembered well. And I love that he now kind of knows that. You know? And it was so cool that that it, it was our voices too as fans. They were yeah. fans of all the same things we're fans of and 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 exactly. gawk over. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You were saying Jeremy. <laughs> I would say, um, I think something that is kind of tragic, but also kind of lovely about Pike's story and him knowing his own fate is that he only sees the darkness to come. He doesn't know yeah. that Spock yeah. is going to rescue him from that in the menagerie. Yeah. Which I think is why this whole show basically makes the Menagerie one of the most beautiful episodes of the entirety of Star Trek. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, it's it, it's no. really going to be great to see if they, at the end of the series, are able to reflect on what happens to Pike in the end. I hope so, and I hope they do more. I, I feel bad saying this, but I hope they do more about the whole relationship between Pike and Vina. Because I know they touched on it during Discovery Season 2. But then they kind of seem to have focused heavily on this relationship with Battelle. 
and it's kind of like we know she's not in the menagerie and she's not who we kind of ultimately ends up with. We are kind of she got gorn eggs. <laughs> We're unfortunately privileged with that information, and I'm kind of like. I feel awful now because it's like she can't be the love of his life because we know who is, if you know what I mean, and that's who he's going to end up with, and that's his kind of happy ending. So, but yeah, <laughs> at the same time, I like Patel and I like that relationship, and I don't want it to get, you know, Ripley'd. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we'll see what happens. I guess when season three eventually launches in twenty twenty eight. But yeah, no, but yeah, those old scientists just great. I love these actors anyway, the voice actors as well as all the Strange New World stuff. And like you said, the voice of the, the fans, like <laughs> little moments like when Mariner's saying, I, I wouldn't want to go back there because if I screw up now, it's no big deal. But if I screw up in front of Uhura, <laughs> come on, <laughs> it'd be so embarrassing. <laughs> yep, I get what you're saying. So yeah, awesome. Uh, right, so that concludes the hit or miss section. That wasn't too rough on anyone, hopefully. And I think we came to mostly positive uh, conclusions. So. Without any further ado, then, we are going to jump into the main review, uh, and I am going to say we are going to start our analysis of this episode. Spark analysis. So, as I say, the episode we're looking at is The Broken Circle from Strange New Worlds. Before we get into anything, I do have a little behind-the-scenes thing, because I like to get a little bit of a sort of background and things, just with like random bits and pieces, so I'll read them out. Hopefully, it'll not be too boring, and if you have any thoughts on that, you guys, you can chime in and let me know. Uh, so... Just to uh, to get us started then, uh, chronologically, this is the first known instance where Spock and Uhura are involved in stealing the Enterprise. Spock later went on to hijack the Enterprise by himself, as Jeremy noted, for Pike during the events of the Menagerie Part 1, while Uhura aided in a joint effort with the rest of the crewmen, crewmates during the events of Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. So, yeah, uh, Spock's successful negotiations with the Klingons sets up a slight recurring gag that would be used again at the conclusion of Subspace Rhapsody, and it also foreshadows his efforts to pursue peace between the Klingons and the Federation in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, which might be getting looked at in a few weeks. <laughs> um, the Gorn attack ship at this episode's climax is seen on a stellar chart approaching the Galdon Tear system. Uh, that is a place where the albino would narrowly escape from a confrontation with Kang, Koloth, Kor, and Curzon Dax, either before or during 2345, as mentioned in the DS9 episode, Blood Oath. So, mm -hmm. very random continuity reference. Uh, since the events of last season's finale, Uhura has graduated from Starfleet Academy and been promoted to Ensign, something which does come up in this episode when uh, La'an mentions it. Uh, and if you are curious, Anton Mount has a reduced presence in the first couple of episodes of season two, including this one, because his wife had just given birth. And as a result, he was effectively on paternity leave for the first few weeks of filming. So if you're wondering why there's a shortage of Captain Pike in those first couple of episodes, that's why. <laughs> so, yeah. I think that that actually just gave uh, the show the chance and the motivation to explore the other characters a little deeper. And I, I, I exactly. like that. Exactly. Right. I like that it gives Spock a chance to take command for the first time and have to. Yes. Have to yes. <laughs> sure. I love that. Awesome. Uh, well, again, if you're new here and, uh, you know, for the sake of our new guest, we are breaking down. Our, we, we don't tend to go chronologically because it gets a little bit, you know, synopsis of the episode uh, and that can be a bit boring. So we break it down into just random things like writing, plot, director, uh, acting, visual effects, sound, etc. cetera. Um, but we don't, you know, stick to any strict rules. So if we just talk about things and then veer off towards another thing, then as long as it's relevant, we just follow the path. So uh, I have a few things that I wanted to uh, to bring up, which is... Uh, first of all, obviously, this is the first appearance of Klingons on Strange New Worlds and the first appearance of them, I think, in any live action track since Discovery's first couple of seasons and the somewhat misstep there. So what did you think about the plots with regards to the Klingons in this episode, uh, Jeremy? I thought they were good. And I also thought that the design of the Klingons was a it was a healthy hybrid of Berman era or original movie era 
Klingons with the discovery elements. You can see that the ridges were a little more pronounced and they went back further into the head. They were on some of them, but some of them didn't yeah. look that way. That was the weird part, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think it, they were just trying to basically say it's a regional thing. Sort yeah. of like, uh, I think they did that with another alien. Um, they did it with the Romulans in Picard. Romulan, they said one of them right. was a northern alien. Yes, that's what I was thinking of, yes. Yeah. Um, I thought that the Klingons in this episode were were uh, were quite, quite well done. Um, I also really liked that... Um, that the Klingon war was mm -hmm. used as a source of trauma this season for, mm -hmm. uh, for some crew members like Mbanga and Chapel specifically. That was one of the things I was going to mention. Cause I'm not as fond of that, but I, I knew it was going to kind of naturally come up. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> you have the floor there, Jeremy. What did you kind of love about that plot line and try and sell me on it? I guess. <laughs> well, in this episode, particularly, uh, Mbenga gives that incredibly chilling um, description of how there was blood in the air on the mm. moon of Chagall. There was so much blood in the air that the rain turned red. Yeah. And I talk about overdramatic. <laughs> well, yes, but it's still, you, you, I think that once you see the actual episode about Mbenga confessing he is the butcher of Chagall, I hated that. <laughs> so it, I think what that does is it shows you that war and trauma can change anyone. Mm. And it doesn't mean that it can corrupt them forever, but it can change and affect their perceptions very deeply. Um, I understand the aversion to using the Klingon war for something like this, mm. because it kind of feels like the majority of New Trek, when it comes to discovery, it's been stuck inside the Klingon war that they've just yeah. been thinking about that for ages. But I personally think that it, it's not an era of Trek, which has been explored enough. Take a look at the fan project and Axar. The reason why that gained as much traction as it did, even though it was a complete scam was because that it, it dealt with yeah. that era of Trek that everyone so desperately wanted more information about. Yeah. And I think that they were giving those fans really what they wanted. And at the same time, making it relevant for our characters. Yeah. Uh, Regarding that, I think it's just, it was also the obvious choice. It's like before the time, you know, like saying if there, if we have wartime people who fought in the war and, the, and it's placed in the forties, we're going to say they were in world war two uh, and, mm -hmm. and this location or that location. So it was kind of, yeah. it was the, you know, this what was happening at the time i think that there's two things that are my biggest issues with this and i may as well bring them up now and the first one is that i don't love that they're using legacy original series characters and in my opinion kind of sullying them like i didn't need to know and i think it's kind of a dishonor to the original actor who played Mbenga that he's like a, a butcher of the klingons and i'm kind of like mm. I get what you're doing, but I would have preferred you to use another character. Having said that, as you mentioned, Jeremy, now that you've sold me on the idea of like, well, the point is it changes you, but not forever. I can kind of see why it would make sense to use that character a bit more mm -hmm. now. But um, also my question is, why does it sully them? Why Why do you I, think that it sullies them? I just don't like any kind of, well, I'm as you know, I'm not, a, I don't like any time when Starfleet are portrayed as less than kind of morally superior, just because that's kind of what I came for. I came for the escapism part. Mm. Like I said, I don't like In the Pale Moonlight, which everybody else loves, because I'm like, I don't want, okay. I don't consider it a great end to your story when your captain is like, well, I effed up. I, I broke every rule. I'm very immoral, but what are you going to do about it? And I'm like, oh, terrible ending. You know what I mean? So, 
but <laughs> well i think that when star trek is morally gray that's when it's at its best because star trek's never supposed to tell you what's right it's never supposed to tell you what is going on it hasn't ever since the original series star trek since its conception it brings up issues it brings up parallels for instance let this be your last battlefield um uh, the the two uh factions uh uh what is it commodore beale and Lokai. <laughs> those two um it's obviously trying to bring up uh racial violence mm. and uh you know racial unrest between the white population and the African-American population at the time. Uh, but the episode itself never goes out to say, oh, well, this this one is right and this one is wrong. It talks about how both of their approaches might have something wrong, but it never commits to something because the whole point of Star Trek is that it raises conversation. It's yeah. not supposed to give you the end-all, be-all answers. And I, think I would, I would, yeah. I would counter slightly and say that the point of that episode in particular is that it is trying to teach you something, and I think there is a lot there which a lot of the kind of more right wing mm -hmm. Trek fans never see. But it's not trying to, sure. as you said, put the blame on one side or the other. It's basically trying to teach you bigotry is stupid, oh, and yes. it will ultimately just get you killed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Very so. true, very true. <laughs> but in that same way, there are many aspects of the Klingon War, and using that for Mbenga and Chapel, which. They are not bad people because that they fought in that war. It doesn't tarnish who they are. That was their duty to Starfleet. And I feel as though saying that it sullies them is, is a bit strong because yeah. it I think that it just make them it made them a better a, a better character to explore, really. Because let's think about it. Chapel, she had that one episode, uh, What Are Little Girls Made Of in the original series, and the love plot was Spock. She had basically no character besides that. In she does the in the animated series, series, for what it's worth. Well, in the animated series, yes, in Mud's Passion. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and in the Lorelei signal, she does. But I feel as though they didn't give her enough. They yeah. never gave her enough of a strong character outside of her love life. Really? No, well, again, she was very much that character. She was never intended to be anything other than a background character. They'd exactly. already basically sneaked her back in because I said the network were like, we don't like this actress. Get rid of her when she was cast as number mm -hmm. one and then dyed her hair blonde, chuck her around into the world, hope nobody noticed. Yeah. So for the first season, they were just like, shh, <laughs> go to the background yeah. a little bit so nobody notices. So and, yeah, and you're you, absolutely right. And and Mbenga, you think you talk about Mbenga. Mbenga was in like two episodes of the original series, just as a background was, but... character. And as much as I like him, as much as I like Mbenga, he clearly is not a character who was explored at all in the original series. And so they can do whatever they like with him. I That's disagree. I like yeah. the I like the character of the original series because uh, even though it's only two episodes, I love first of all the fact that it's yet another kind of African American face where nothing's made out of it. It's just like another crew member, which mm -hmm. I don't think we can underplay how important that was in the '60s that it wasn't yeah. like. Uh, a big deal, but also I thought that there were interesting aspects to his character, and they are touched on in this episode, which is that he's a human who's very acutely aware of like Vulcan physiology and has become like an expert doctor when it comes to Vulcans. And I'm like, explore mm -hmm. that. I would love to know why. Why did this human being become such an expert on Vulcans? And to the part that he's like the one that when Spock becomes like you know fell fallen down with this illness, he's mm -hmm. the go-to guy. Even McCoy's like, well, I I could treat him, but. This guy over here is far better because he's like 
the, the whiz when it comes to Vulcans. And I'm like, why? You haven't explored the slightest bit. And again, they do it in the broken mm. circle and be like, oh, I know Vulcans because of, the, so I know this and this is the case. And you repress your emotions. And I'm like, so show us why. Instead of showing us the depressing kind of bit, uh, you know, I thought in the war history, I want to know why he studied Vulcans and what that's about, you know? <laughs> I really liked it uh, as far as it pertained to his character development because, um, well, I feel like they're showing that he's not just overcoming his role in the war, but he's overcoming something extreme. But then it also became an element of uh, his preparedness and why even as a, a doctor who's on missions of exploration feels the need to have this super soldier serum uh, on him at all times. And, you know, just in case he has to get out of a situation, he's that on alert he's that scared all the time and i think that's just playing into you know the, the character development and who knows where that will go from here yeah i think a couple of points i wanted to raise with regard to that was first of all i i, I kind of resent the fact that if this was going to be the case it's weird how it didn't come up at all during the first season um you know it, it was never part of his character it just feels like they wrote the first season with regards to his storyline with his daughter and then finished that storyline up and we're like oh shit, we need something for this character to do now and so they gave him this backstory at the start of season two out of nowhere, which is mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, it would have been nice if they touched on it perhaps a little bit beforehand. Trek um, does that a lot. Trek does yeah. that a whole lot. I can live with the kind of, you know, especially as I hear why you guys like it, I can live with the kind of, you know, they're veterans of the Klingon War storyline. What I don't like, and as you've already touched on, and uh, I'll, I'll call on DK here because he did say he was going to throw this in as a, a, an audio gag, is that when this came up, he was going to play this music. So what I don't like is Mbenga injecting himself with a serum and effectively the music doing this. Yeah, that was DK's joke. Personally, I, I saw it more as a super soldier serum thing. But... Yeah, I I also, even though I love Mbenga and I love what they did with him, I feel like the serum was a little dumb because... Yeah, a little dumb. <laughs> I'm trying to be pragmatic, man. Uh, but I feel like it was it was a, it was unnecessary because mm. they, if he truly was going through all of the adrenaline of the war and everything, he wouldn't need that serum. He could just out of his pure, you know, trauma, just do it. Just, you yeah. know, just, just the pure... Yeah, but these are Klingons. Well, I understand that. But there are many human fighters who are able to beat Klingons in other areas of Trek. And I don't yeah. really think that they needed to put him on super adrenaline because, I mean, what? I don't know what that adds. It's just a dumb plot line. I really didn't like it because I thought the same. It was stupid. It was kind of a plot line too far. And it was like, again, it came out of nowhere. You suddenly have, um, oh, turns out you've had this on you for your entire life, but we've never mentioned it before. You invented it. It's some kind of, like I said, magic super soldier serum that's never going to come up again in any future Trek or anything. And it's just kind of like... <sighs> I mean, if they do bring it up again and about how it is physiologically damaged in Benga, and, and yeah. like, then, then I'd oh, yeah. be happy with it. If they oh, were yeah, to I mean... talk about the effects of it, sort of like with uh, Garrick and his addiction. You know. yeah. Or if they I mean, contrast it with how much they are against augmenting humans, unless it's for you know ah, ten minutes. Yes, yes. Mm. Exactly. I, see, I actually was fine with with this because it also allowed Chapel to join in on the ass kicking. Um, so I was personally fine with the little. The thing is, this version thing. of Chapel I can believe would be an ass kicker anyway. Like I wouldn't believe yeah. it of the the Majel Barrett version because I said she was very sixties 
oh, I'm only here for love, you know, dainty damsel in distress in the background. But even just after one season, this version of Chapel that Jess Bush plays, I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, she can kick your ass. Yeah, but <laughs> even, even if we don't like the fight scene, and then the fighting all that, the fight scene was so well done. It was... I, 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 I have to disagree. <laughs> I just I, mean, I, I think that the way that it was shot, it, they looked like they were struggling for real. And... I, I think they ruined it by doing the stupid strobe lighting thing. That was what ruined it for me. Like well, I didn't even notice. I was just thinking about the blocking. The blocking of yeah. the fight oh, yeah, was yeah. absolutely incredible because it shows how difficult it is to take down a Klingon, you know, yeah. but it's still possible. You know? And from the moment they dropped into the lower deck, that uh, camera turn, 180 turn, that was really neat. Mm -hmm. I don't know, man. I don't. I don't really go to Star Trek expecting John Wick. I guess is the problem. But um, <laughs> but yeah, no. It's it, it wasn't that so much as the, the strobe lighting was just far too much, and it just reeked of like we are hardcore, we are edgy, and that was what it, I got from the kind of <laughs> instead of the you know the serum thing being a cool plot device that they could go with, it was just like let's do something edgy. Yeah, yeah I Tarantino Trek. You know what I mean? It's just like oh. yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, I didn't love that, and I also this is a. a Complete nitpick, but I didn't like that on a plot level, they established that the Broken Circle as a group are made up of Klingon and Federation members who want mm. war because they that are like surprising. miners and stuff. Yeah, that was and yet, surprising. It's incredibly kind of like, isn't I guess almost... Exact, isn't it the exact same plot as the Undiscovered Country? <laughs> well, more or less, yeah, effectively. Yeah. yeah. Well, not the same plot, but the same motivations I mean, and the same parties. It's the same plot as Redemption if you just take away the humans and replace them with Romulans. <laughs> True, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I didn't like that. Like I said, they make a point of saying it's not just the Klingons, which makes sense on a script level. But then all that Mbenga and Chapel fight are Klingons, which just feels like it plays into that bigotry aspect of like, you didn't fight yeah. a single human there? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> again, that was a bit of a nitpick, but I was like, you could have thrown in a couple of human beings that they were beating the crap out of as well, you know? That's a really good nitpick. That's a really good one. <laughs> yeah. It would have even been, imagine how much more kind of impactful it would be if Mbenga's beating the crap out of a human just because he's Ooh. on this whatever. Ooh. And like, people's like, Yikes. okay, you're going too far. You're applying too much force. This isn't a Klingon. <laughs> and maybe he sees them as a Klingon or whatever. And you're like, okay, oh, calm down. Neat. That would be neat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, missed opportunities more than anything. I think but... you need to be the script editor for Strange New Worlds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't say things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I do not want I do not want Robert Meyer Burnett complaining about me on a weekly basis, <laughs> which I'm sure he would. But no, that's fair. Well, I think we've we've kind of talked that to death. But I, yes, I, um, I think yeah, I, I don't think I'm on board with it. But I'm a lot more, and I again, I respect that you guys liked it, and that's mm -hmm. fine. And I will say, DK said the same thing. He didn't love the serum aspect of it, but he didn't mind the chapel and Benga. Sort of backstory, so he's probably more on you guys' side as well, which is fair enough. Absolutely. Um, this is again such a ridiculous nitpick, but I have to bring it up because it bugged the crap out of me when the episode happened, which is when the false flag federation ship takes off and Lieutenant Mitchell identifies it as a crossfield class ship. And being a ship nerd, I immediately scream at my TV, That's not a crossfield class ship. What she are said, you talking about? She said it looks like she wasn't really sure, but it doesn't <laughs> even look like one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know enough about the ships themselves. Well, the Crossfield class is the same class as the original Discovery and the Glen, so it should look nothing like the ship in this episode, other oh, than okay. the primary hull, the saucer section is identical, uh, which I get. Like, I can understand they might say 
And maybe a line like that would have been like, it looks like it's got a crossfield section saucer or whatever. But And that's entirely because they wanted to reuse Discovery sets so that when Mbenga and Chapel have their fight, it's on a starship that you don't have to make whole new sets of. Not that I would notice that kind of thing anyway, but I read in like the behind the scenes, that's why they decided to go oh, with that. Ah, was like, that's smart. You know, <laughs> we already have the sets here. Why not use them though? Yeah. But, you know, they were also kind of reconstructing the entire ship from scratch. So you could kind of. Oh, I get plot wise. Plot wise, yeah. I get that. It's just my, my nitpick is just don't refer to it as a, oh, it looks like a Crossfield class ship because then my brain immediately goes, that's not anything like Discovery. What are you talking about? I um, yeah. Um, but no, I mean, being such a nerd, I have looked this up and the ship is a CGI kit bash made out of the saucer section of the original Crossfield class, the impulse engines from the NX class, like the 01 Enterprise, the warp nacelles of the redone Constitution class from Strange New Worlds. And I think the struts from um, one of the Strange New World ships as well. So it's a kit bash of like various things. Oh, and the, the, the deflector is from like the Pioneer class, almost the way that it kind of just has its own place on top of the ship. And it's laid out like a Miranda class ship. So yeah, it's a complete uh, Frankenstein mm. of a ship, which makes sense, as you said, for like, we constructed it out of parts in this mine and we're going to launch it. The problem with that, of course, and again, this is uber nerd level but i'm gonna bring it up because it's what i'm here for is that there's a continuity error because the exact same ship is docked in starbase one at the start of the episode uh -huh. <laughs> like it's upside down which they clearly did to try and think well nobody will notice if we do this but everybody noticed like uh, it's, oh this must just be a regular class that is similar to crossfield or whatever because there's another one in the starbase and it's now been confirmed it is continuity error because somebody zoomed in and it's got exactly the same registry on the nacelles. Like 12 Akiva, you, Akiva, you thought we wouldn't notice. But we know. <laughs> we know. It's such a shame, though, because like the visual effects guys do such a good job. And I forget the guy's name, the actual VFX dude. But it's like, I understand what you did was to try and beef out this scene by just putting in an asset that you had for later in the episode. But it's just, it's a huge continuity error now. And for me, there was no need because you already have the Enterprise, the Archer and the Farragut in that scene. So why throw in a fourth ship? It just feels unnecessary. And my eyes were on the shuttles docking and yeah. coming off yeah. of, I just thought that was incredible. So for the average viewer that's maybe slightly a Star Trek nerd, they would have gotten away with it. Yeah, I don't know if I would have noticed if it wasn't for the fact that somebody else pointed it out when I was railing about the fact it wasn't across the field in the first place. But um, yeah, I mean, I like the design of what they actually came up with in terms of, especially if it was just cobbled together because it looks pretty cool. So, but anyway. <laughs> I think I think that I would like to go back to Mbenga for just half a moment. Okay. Just to say, uh, I really liked the scene where Mbenga gave Spock the liar. I, I really, was actually about to bring that up. That was my next note. <laughs> it's an excellent transition because the, I have a lot of things to say about Spock in this episode. A whole yeah. lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, I really enjoyed that because that brought so much joy to my heart when I saw him have that because that's one of my favorite things about Spock is uh, one of my first memories watching Star Trek was Charlie X when yes. he was playing alongside Uhura's singing. Yes. The Charlie's a new darling, oh. you know. I, so, I will say, I sorry not to interrupt, but I love the fact that somebody used that as a complete burn against uh, one of the usual against suspects was ranging about like, so Space Rhapsody, you would never catch them singing on Kirkship and somebody just posted the clip of Uhura singing with Spock playing the loot. <laughs> Touche! <laughs> hey, also, cracked my knuckles and a jump for joy, got a clean bill of health from <laughs> Dr. McCoy. I love Way to Eden as well. That's a great episode. Uh, anyway, yeah, no. On his leg, by his tail. Herbert, Herbert, Herbert. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that one. 
but also just the way to Eden song is actually quite gorgeous. Anyway, getting back on track. Um, uh, yeah, The Liar is such a perfect nod to the original series. I just mm -hmm. I love it. Um, like you said, he stole the Enterprise again, which was just uh, how well, many times? Time, really? Yeah, how, the first how time many again. times has Spock stolen the Enterprise? Maybe too many. <laughs> yeah, that's awful. And this is the first one, though, because like I said, this hasn't happened until now. And if anything, the fact that he did it and got away with it would make him think, eh, maybe I'll do it again. <laughs> yeah, very true. They say very his true. first time being placed in command and his first time taking yeah. off with the ship. About just that. Yes, about him being in command. I love that they put Spock in command and they gave yep. him an impossible choice at the end of the episode. And that is the perfect experience, a real life Kobayashi Maru, which he somehow got away with, um, to grow him for command. And I think that's a very important thing to put in, in because he is a captain in later stories, in like in Wrath of Khan or when he takes command in the Tholian web or in the animated series, the Albatross, when everybody gets on the plague. Yeah, like, as you were saying, it's important to his character in TOS because even though they say he's the science officer and he wears blue, he's the first officer. So he does have mm -hmm. to take command a lot. So as you're saying, you kind of it's it's nice that Strange New World is paying respect to that in terms of like we need to see how he gets to that command level, you know? Oh, and uh, yes. has that experience. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> oh yes. Sorry, I interrupted your notes there. Sorry. Oh, it's okay. And I have one last thing, which about about Spock. Uh, um, well, actually. Two things. The warp gag is a very funny gag, and it's a great explanation for why in the original series he just goes, Mr. Sulu put us on a heading for Warp Factor 7. And I know some people really hated that scene, and I love it. I think it's so fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I like it because they, I think Spock realized in retrospect how cringy that was, and he decided <laughs> never to do it again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, the last thing I really want to say about Spock, and I think it's the, the very core of this episode, is um, the interaction between the Klingon captain and Spock after he mm. says that he's not able to lie and and everything he and he says he will join him for blood wine. He says, "You are no typical Vulcan." He goes, "No, it would seem that I am not," and yeah. that is the most important exchange in the whole story because it points out that if Spock were just like every other Vulcan, he wouldn't have gotten through the situation, or he would have never even acted upon the urge to steal the Enterprise putting the Federation and the Klingon Empire back in war. It yeah. really... I mean, that's the that's the thing that I love about Spock in Strange New Worlds, and that's why I, again, I keep, keep bringing up the negative, but I've seen a, a, one particular person who's like, Strange New Worlds has ruined the character of Spock, and I'm like, are you kidding? It's added so much more depth in showing so you how he becomes the Spock you know. <laughs> oh, yes. I don't, I don't get the logic of it's ruined him, because I'm like, he's obviously he's not the Spock from the original series. It's 10 years beforehand. But we already know from the cage that he was a lot less reserved and kind of open with his emotions and laughing at singing plants and things. So if anything, I love that this show is showing you why he and, and the, the conflict that he's going through constantly of like, how am I going to reconcile this with the fact that I'm neither Vulcan nor human? I've got to kind of toe that line of being both. And yeah, I, I, but, but also showing you why he would favor the Vulcan side because of things like heartbreak, which we've all, we can all I was just going to say that, level. yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's showing us why he is the more rational Spock because we're seeing him kind of stew in his emotions now and it doesn't most likely probably end well. Yes, yeah. exactly. But I love the complexity of like, at the same time as like, I'm trying to contain my emotions and everything again, as you said, it's the same thing of like, well, I've, I'm, I have a hunch. And I'm going with it. And even Pelias, like a Vulcan with a hunch. This is most unusual, you know? So, oh, yeah, speaking of Pelia, 
Oh, <laughs> Carol Kane is so good. And her chemistry specifically with Ethan Peck is just incredible. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that I'm, was I'm a still... hard shoes to feel feel because we're still oh, yeah. feeling the sting of losing our. Oh mind. boy, am I ever! <laughs> and oh, chief engineer, oh, and and this they handled it so well. Oh, I'm still yeah. bitter about Hammer, to be perfectly honest. But you know, at least oh, the actor yeah. got to come back and play a singing Klingon for five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I also really like that moment at the end where Spock's like, "Is it true you are a lantern?" And she's like, "You Vulcan, you you just get very personal after you get drunk. oh, a few yeah. drinks and you get personal, is that yeah. it?" <laughs> yeah. Also, I loved it. The tiny detail that she came out as a lanthanite to Amanda. Spock's uh, mother, that was yeah. really sweet. Yeah. There's another character. Uh, on that planet, who I feel like we've completely, uh, completely ignored during this episode, and that is La'an. I was La just about to hit on the one thing that I have about La'an, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, La'an, uh, in this episode, she has a really wonderful moment to me, and it's when she says she has an antimatter detonation. Switch. That was my literal next notice. <laughs> oh, in my mind, man. No, go for it. Yeah, go for yeah. it. <laughs> uh, I thought it was a great moment. I really did. Um, however, when it comes to earlier on in the episode when she's out drinking the Klingon, I just yeah. think to myself, really? Really? Like, you're going to. fine with it because at least they made the effort of making it look like she was quite disgusted and struggling to keep it down, you know? Well, I suppose that's true. But at the same time, I don't. We've think seen that... worse. I mean, we've seen Cisco drink a barrel of blood wine and tell the Klingons to get out of his way during his uh, disguised as a Klingon mission yeah. in season five. <laughs> I suppose that's true. And also, um, <laughs> Yesterday's Enterprise, what does Worf think is a warrior's drink? Prune juice. <laughs> so clearly the Klingons are not quite as tough as they think they are. Yeah. You know? Plus, I just I loved it's such a little small line, but I also loved the fact that Laan's cheekily like, and don't be hiding half of the wine in your beard again. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Get him. <laughs> Whoever played that Klingon across from her was really good. I'm they really all were, good. I thought, yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, sorry, Sandra, I interrupted you. What were you saying? Oh, I was just going to say the biggest joke that the entire galaxy played on Klingons is that their blood wine actually is like not all that. And everybody just pretends <laughs> like it's really representative. <laughs> oh, Nobody sees anything, but it's actually Ribena. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh it's, like, it's like got the uh, it's got it's got the alcoholic content of schnapps. Like... <laughs> it's like a really weak wine. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, no, I was going to say about Laon, I loved, I loved the fact that she got to still be a badass and I like that character and that actress. But I picked up on an original series kind of, not a reference as such, but this is maybe my nerd brain. I love that when she said, you know, Princess Leia style, get out of here, I've got this thermal detonator or whatever, <laughs> the antimatter thing. And then later on yeah. when, they, when they kind of reconvene and uh, they say, well, I've never heard of an antimatter mine, what is it? And she's just basically like, oh, oh you made it up. And I'm like, hmm, shades of Kirk making up Corbamite. For me, in in that moment, you know, of the uh, oh yeah, oh you can't attack the ship, or our Corbomite device will blow us up, and there's actually no such thing. I'm like, so it's kind of it's it, for me that was a nice like ah very trekky trek esque thing to do, you know. So, and yeah. for our security chief, kind of having so many misgivings and kind of uh, weaker character moments last season, it's nice to see her acting so confidently this yeah. episode. So I have no other notes on the writing and the plot in general, but do either of you guys have anything? I did remember just um, kind of some of the more strong, poignant moments between um, 
Mbenga and uh, Nurse Chapel uh, just yeah. there at the very end when they're about to blow themselves out of the ship. And speaking of very deep, platonic, respectful relationships, you know, the yeah. way she embraced him as they were about to die together, most likely. Yeah. Um, I will say on his, on his behalf, because I said I would interject with his thoughts, that DK said the same thing. He said he liked the camaraderie. And in particular, he shouted out the scene where they go, oh, we've survived worse than this. Have we? Well, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. I, I can see where you're coming from with that. That's for sure. And then um, a Spock's moment, you know, after that, Woodyard talking about his Kobayashi Maru moment and um, seeing his eyes actually well up with oh. tears and... <sighs> um telling her you know are you gonna be so rough cpr yeah and and just saying i waited for you you do not die it was just really some really poignant moments for for all of those that was so well played by ethan peck i I could praise him all day but i love the fact that he played that as like he didn't fully break down because he's still trying to get that vulcan reserve but you can see that he's on the edge of it do you know what i mean it's like yeah being on the edge of an emotional breakdown is often far more far more heartbreaking to watch than then actually seeing a breakdown, for instance, like David Tennant and Doctor Who's last line, like, yeah. ah! And it's like, it, that's just something that <laughs> I admire when actors are able to do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love that Peck can just do all of this with yeah. Spock when he goes to, he can go to the fully human, like, oh, shocking, you laughed and whatever, but he can also do the, I'm reserved, but I'm I'm fighting against this, you know? And oh, I love yeah. that, again, it's, it's a little thing, but I do like when Star Trek explains the thing that, a lot of non-fans don't get which they do in this episode which is no vulcans do have emotions they actually have emotions stronger than us they just have yes. things that block them <laughs> so because a lot mm-hmm. of non-fans just tend to take it as like oh the species without emotions and the, the nerd in me always has to bite my lip and be like mm-hmm. i know i know oh that's so hard for me to not just like like well actually you know but um but uh one one thing i would also like to say speaking of the acting is yeah. and I do not know the actor's name and I feel terrible about it, but the actor who plays Robert April is incredible. He is Adrian very, something, but I can't remember what his surname well, is. Blessing. Well, it's Mr. Adrian Holmes. That's thank, thank you so much, Sandra. Adrian Holmes is incredible, and I would not want to be on the end of uh, Robert April's <laughs> wrath, like seeing how he chastised Spock uh, after everything that happened in that episode. I was like. Ah, he's you know. great. Yeah, I like that April is um, an admiral who's more of a big picture admiral because so many times we come across these admirals that are so narrow minded yes. and stupid. Mm-hmm. And clearly, he's you know, I mean, he could have court martialed Spock. Uh, you know, he could have really come down on them a lot more hard harder than he did. However, big picture, you know, we've got this. It was yeah. Even then, there was something. In. There was something great about the, the way that he does it to Spock because he doesn't just go like, oh, well, I'll let you off this time. There's something both amusing and clever about the way that he goes, consider that Klingon hangover your punishment. And I'm like, ah, okay. So you're not like, I'm forgiving you. You're just like, yo, you're in pain. Good. Yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? exactly. Yeah. And he doesn't come off as like, he doesn't come off as a pushover or easy. He comes yeah. off as somebody who's discerning and somebody who's incredibly, yes. is an incredible presence. I really yeah. like that. I will say, as regards to that plot, though, I'm kind of annoyed. Although this happens on Trek almost every time they do this, of the fact that Starfleet were completely in the wrong and Spock was very right. Like, if Spock hadn't went, they'd currently be fighting a war against the Klingons. So, yeah, I kind of, part of me resents whenever the officer that does the kind of mutiny doesn't just go, hmm, seems like I did the right thing, though, doesn't it? You know? (laughs) 
It's unspoken. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. But yeah. I have anyway. one. I have one last note or two last notes. Uh, one being, I love the that shot, the cinematography of Spock cradling his lyre at the end in his mm. quarters while the ship was in warp. Like that was just such a nice shot. I really like yeah. that shot. Oh, and the last thing, dedicated to Nichelle Nichols. I thought oh, that no. was perfect. <sighs> that, um, I, that, I can't bring that up. That breaks my heart, man. It, oh. it, it, it's very sad that she's gone. But also a part of me thinks these dedications, they always come right after the actor has died, which I think is a, a good a good and respectful thing to do. But do you guys think it would have been better had they waited for the Uhura-centric episode this season, the one where the deuterium was communicating with her, to put I, that dedication for Nichelle? Maybe personally, they were I don't. Weeks. Yeah, personally, I don't because I like the idea of the like it happened when they were on hiatus, so this is the first chance they had to pay their respect. I understand. Yeah, um, and because for me, I think Uhura actually does have a decent plot and a decent amount to do in this episode. She doesn't do nothing, and I actually. I like the things that she does do. I like the way that it literally starts with her going, yo, don't come near this. This is my console. If you want to be at it, give me time. I'm going to lock it down. Oh, you yes. go over there. <laughs> I completely forgot about the, the inspection. And yeah, exactly. That was fun. So yeah. I love that. And I love that, like I said, off screen, she's promoted to Ensign, which is quite a cool thing anyway, as we get closer to the lieutenant. Right. And uh, as you said, the fact that when... Uh, I think it's whoever goes on the away mission, Spock or whatever, casually refers to her as Ensign, and Laon starts talking and then goes, wait a minute, what, Ensign? And Uhura's just like, we go away, you miss stuff. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Even Ortega's got some neat little character moments in this. They really did well as oh, far yeah. as including Ortega's, everybody. Ortega's is fantastic. Ortega's is always underserved, but every time you, you give her one sentence, like uh, pedal to the metal or... Oh, I, I, I was personally workshopping Vamoose. <laughs> it's just like, I want to see that now. <laughs> I think Ortegas is probably my favorite of the new characters which have been added yeah. in. She is wonderful. When they're Absolutely. all in, in Spock's quarters and he's telling them, we're going to steal the Enterprise and everybody's like, all right. And she's like, oh, like she just now got it. So funny. <laughs> yes, yes. I love that. But even then, as, again, related to what you guys were saying, and, and this is an example for me of how they use the backstory well, is when they're sort of uh, hiding in the lair and Spock's nervous, understandably, and Ortega's is just like, look, I've hid from enough Klingons during the war to know when you can take a breather. And I'm like, ooh, one line and you get everything you need to know right there. You know what I mean? Exactly, That's yeah. Economical storytelling. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, but yeah, anyway, <laughs> enough. But yeah, so I, I was going to talk about the acting next because we kind of basically have started. So effectively, we, we've all said Ethan Peck, fantastic. <laughs> I mentioned already Celia Rose Gooding as Uhura. We said, you know, um, oh, Ortegas, whose character, whose actor name I do know, and I'm completely blanking on again. <laughs> Melissa Navia, there we go, <laughs> is also very good. Um, and obviously, Car I mean, Carol Kane, absolute legend. And from the moment she appears, she just elevates stuff. I mean... You know, movies, Broadway, whatever else. She's so good of an actress. And seeing her in Star Trek was a thrill, even though apparently she's not a fan of sci-fi generally. So, But uh, I just loved it. I have to say oh, yes. shout out so to her on that. So sweet and, and quirky. I haven't said quirky. That's funny. <laughs> no, oh, that's uh, I found Paul his name. Paul <laughs> I found his name. Um, Kardoch, the Klingon who has the drinking contest with Laan. It's played by a guy named Kyle Cass. And he was fantastic. Ah. I really From Tenacious it. D? No, cast <laughs> with a K. Ah, okay. <laughs> that would be a heck of a revelation. 
Mm-hmm. No, that's cool. Yeah, I like it. Uh, yeah. I'm the Klingons were very well done in this episode, I think. Again, I, I don't have the names in front of me, but I actually really liked the female Klingon who was quite intimidating that, um, you know, she came up, brushed up against La'an, and it turned out she, I think, was a member of the Broken Circle in the end. And she um, didn't overplay yeah. the character either. And the only other note I have on the acting, which, again, Sandra, you'll appreciate, is just the sexual chemistry between Jess Bush and Ethan Peck is off the uh, chart. Yeah. You couldn't have predicted that when you cast the two of them. It, and yet you kind of you, you kind of have to play that Spock Chapel thing. But then you cast them, it is a gift. You have that level of like, oh boy, it seems like every time they talk, those two are about to jump into bed. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, Even when yeah. uh, Nurse Chapel just walks in the room in the beginning of the episode and mm-hmm. his heart rate immediately goes up, but you felt it beyond that, um, you know, explanation in the background. Yeah, but even though Mbenga rather callous, uh, you know, uncharismatically was like, hmm, strange, it seems like, he's like, don't even say it, shush. I love that Mbenga keeps poking at it, though. <laughs> Absolutely, you would, though, wouldn't you? You would tease a little bit. Yeah, you got to have a little bit of that. So anyway, do you guys have any other notes on the acting then before I, I move us slightly along? Well, all of the acting is phenomenal in this show. Right. That's probably the thing I've taken away from Strange New Worlds more than anything else is that the caliber of actors that they were able to get for the show is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely unbelievable. And I'm so yeah. glad that it is the way it is. It's in just fact, amazing. Yeah. In fact, it's what makes it so easy for me to jump on board where I can confidently say this show can do no wrong. I, every time I watch an episode, I am all in on it. I yes. just really, and it's because of that acting. You're right. Mm. That's cool. I will say, because you have kind of touched on it, but I will say even in one scene as well, we have to shout out Anson Mount and Rebecca Romain. One scene and they're both just amazing in it. <laughs> That's all you yes, get. Very <laughs> good. Very good. Both of them. Yes. And good yeah. on them for giving us a very plausible explanation as to why, you know, they're not present for these. Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah. Very yeah, plausible. Completely. Super, super well done. As I said, given that Spock's my favorite character in like all of Trek, I didn't mind anyway because I was like, yeah, give him a chance to to be in command and be the lead of the show for a second. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, awesome. Uh, so then just about the direction, do you guys have anything that you wanted to bring up? I have like three random notes that I made, <laughs> but uh, I'll come to you guys first. I don't really have anything about the direction, so go ahead. Well, I just said I, I like that there are some gorgeous sweeping shots of the planet. Mm-hmm. that we visit um the actual i can't remember the name of it kajitar or whatever uh, it looks amazing and they take the time to actually build it up and show you it because you know mm-hmm. we don't live in the age of like studios and matte paintings so it looks fantastic and the same when they actually go down into the cave the mine where the ship is it's it's really impressively i assume cgi because i doubt they would have actually you know went down a huge cave or whatever but i for me it was seamless it looked amazing and uh the, on the negative side as i've already mentioned didn't love the strobe lighting effect on the combat scenes that the director felt was necessary for me it was just overkill and very much like uh, all right we get it you know we're, we're two steps away from putting on german techno music on the scene here you know <laughs> but, uh, yeah so uh, any other notes from you sandra about direction uh no cool uh, so on the special effects i've already basically just said the only thing i want to mention is uh, uh, you know the klingons it's good to see the the more familiar looking ones even though i don't you know rail against discoveries i, I do like that they're back to normal and I love, I so love the gorgeous new D7 design. I'm sorry if you're a purist and you like the old one too much, but that Klingon ship is just so sexy. <laughs> Come on, man. When that warped into the system, I was just like, oh. <laughs> the majority of the designs in Strange New Worlds are a perfect marriage of the modernistic look of spaceships and that beautiful retro design that they have in the original mm-hmm. series. 
100%. And I mentioned it on, a, I think, a previous episode with Adrienne. Some people had issue with this. I love the fact that the warp nacelles basically retract to form guns because that was the one thing you never understood about, like, they're Klingons. Of course they're going to have disruptors somewhere on the ship, you know? Mm -hmm. so, so when they did that and they kind of, like, the thing slid away to reveal the big guns on the end of their wings, I was like, of course, this is awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, awesome. So yeah, just to summarize then, because I've uh, I've got nothing else really except uh, to say, uh, what I'm going to start doing is to kind of summarize hits and misses for me, and maybe just generally get you guys input and uh, agree or disagree. So I will say the hits of this episode, obviously Ethan Peck, Carol Kane, Celia Rose Gooding, every other actor basically we've already said, um, proper Klingons and their cool ship. Uh, for me, the visual effects of the battle scenes. Uh, the chase through the various uh, sort of ice crystals and the opening shots of Starbase One were also just gorgeous. Um, and of course, Pelia joining the crew and her entire kind of storyline. You know, the idea that she's she's almost immortal, so she's just bored, which I think is such a brilliant angle to come at from that. You know, so yeah, um, we all in agreement with that for in terms of hits. <laughs> Hard agree. Yes, very big agree. But so the characterization of Spock is a big hit for yes. me in this one. Yes. Huge hit. Yeah, I think Spock is basically the focus of the episode, as it turns out. Yeah. Um, goes without saying, but, you know, just to emphasize it, that if that hadn't worked, that would have been a, a much weaker episode. So, awesome. For me, I'm going to say the, the misses. I didn't like the Mbenga Chapel plot, but we've kind of touched on that. I don't know if we would say it's a miss, because you guys didn't mind uh, and liked some parts of it. So, we'll keep that floating, I think, just randomly. For me, it's a miss, but for not everybody. Um, I still, I, I hate the Gorn on Strange New Worlds, so the tease of the Gorn at the end for me felt like a wet fart because, oh God, these guys again. <laughs> um, but we haven't touched on that, so I'm not sure if you guys would agree or disagree. <laughs> we we touched on it in a previous episode, and I had said the new Gorn were a hit, but I just don't think this is, uh, you know, just they're coming in on a ship, so I don't think the Gorn we saw were necessarily the only iteration of yeah. this species. So I'm I'm excited to not. see what's coming. Yeah, it seemed like the end of the season was leaning towards, you know, this these alien xenomorphs can't possibly be the thing in a rubber suit that Kirk was fighting. So maybe Who there's knows? Maybe once they get real old, they look like that. <laughs> you know, they just kind of atrophy and turn into rubbery, rubbery looking things. Like <laughs> You know, they could find a way. They'll find a way. That's fair enough. And uh, the only other thing I had an issue with was stuff. This is really nitpicking because I was kind of looking for for things and to, so that it wasn't just a section of what well, the no misses. But I would say I didn't like the lack of Pike and Una, but at the same time I did because it gives Spock a chance to shine. I just mm -hmm. like those actors and characters. But again, that's that's not so much a misses kind of, I guess, just down the middle because... Mm -hmm. yeah. um, Darling, strange the... new worlds. Even your misses are hits. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> effectively, yeah. I did think upon first watching the episode that Spock, Spock got off a little too lightly, but then as I watched it back for the second time, I was like, in fairness, though, Starfleet were fully in the wrong. He was right, and he doesn't get off that lightly because, as I said, the way Admiral April is effectively like, oh, dude, experience that hangover. That is punishment. <laughs> you know, so. And he also yeah. said, if you do that again, it's over. It's your commission. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. Even though we know for a fact that's not the case when it happens again. <laughs> <but> no. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, um, I haven't actually mentioned this to Jeremy, but the next thing that we go on to is to give our favorite character moment and line of the episode. Um, oh, great. So, 
to give you a chance to think, I will give uh, Sandra, you're used to this, so I'll come to you first, then give mine, and then we'll come to Jeremy, because, again, I should really have mentioned it in advance. So we'll start with who was your favourite character in the episode, Sandra? I've got to go with Spock. So much development for him, and um, really, really just love that character. Yeah, my favourite character was also Spock, ironically, for all the reasons that we've already touched on, the development, the way that it pays respect to Leonard Nimoy while adding depth to that version of the character, who is, as I said, my favourite Star Trek character. Um, again, I know people have problems with it. I'm sorry if that's you. I, I just don't. I, I like it. So for me, yeah, Spock and, and the fact he got so much to do and so much development. What about you, Jeremy? Spock, for sure. Spock. <laughs> three for three for Spock. There. I had a feeling that might happen, but, you know, <laughs> just fair enough. Um, so what is your favourite, uh, let's see, moment in the episode, Sandra? My favorite moment was um, just the chapel and Mbenga mowing down Klingons. Um, and like I had said, that um, uh, very first uh, scene where that where that scene begins and they just kind of drop down into the lower deck, but the camera just kind of does this flip thing and it just kind of set the mood for the moment that they were about to be very badass. And I just really liked it. And, and uh, like Jeremy had mentioned, it wasn't, necessarily even with that stuff on board it wasn't even easy for them even at one point nurse chapel was you know captured by two klingons but then she sees mbenga going for it and she pulls out her last ounces of strength to free herself and take down those last two so i just really like yeah. that scene i forgot to mention as well in that scene it's a little moment but i also love that chapel seems to be the only one that uses his first name so that when she's trying to talk him down, she shouts like, Joseph! And you never hear his first name. Everyone else just refers to him as Dr. Mbenga. So mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay. It, it again, speaks to their relationship with each other. But anyway. Yes. <laughs> um, my favorite moment was, sorry to be very basic, the chase through the kind of ice crystals and things in space to chase down the false Federation ship. Partly because it's just cool and exciting and the visuals look good, but also because of what it meant for the tension of Spock as a character. Because I was like in his shoes at that time of like, you could, I mean, it did show it, but you could feel his like knuckles gripping the chair of like, not yet. What am I going to do? I was told to fire on this ship, but Chapel's on it. But if we don't, the Klingons are just there. Oh, what are we going to do? And uh, all that coupled with a really cool kind of visual effect and everything really brought me into that moment. So I love Ortega's turn and burn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So that was mine. What about you, Jeremy? My favorite moment was, as I said before, the um, uh, you are not a typical Vulcan. No, it appears that I am not. Because that sums up the entire core of this episode. Yeah. I thought that was have to such a, a different line wonderful now. <laughs> moment. That's fair enough. Awesome. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, what about, so we'll go to favorite line then. So Sandra, what was your favorite line in the episode? My favorite line was one, um, you know, when they were, right before that moment, when, when they saw this ship burst out of the atmosphere of the planet and realized it was an enterprise ship. And then, you know, Mbenga says he can, he can send a very basic single signal. And you're thinking, you know, what is he going to send? Surely, you know, we're in here or, you know, beam us out. Uh, but instead it was, uh, destroy enterprise this destroy this ship. Yeah. And it was just so jarring. And I was like, Oh man, you could see, you know, the turn that this was taking and that they were willing to die to not restart this war again. It was that important yeah. to them. I did think so. that was clever because I always like it when it doesn't give you the easy options because it would have been easy to write in like we could got something where we can just immediately communicate with you and tell you everything. But the fact that it was like, no, it's a transponder. It can transmit the ship's registry and class and that's 
basically it. And he's like, but I can modify it for like Morse code if you want. And yeah, Morse I love two. That. What's that? Morse two. <laughs> well, presumably it's a future variant that they're going to come right, to at some point right. by the twenty fourth century. So awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, so my favorite line. I, I actually, I'm going to come to you first, Jeremy, because I have like a list. Because I hate myself when I do this, but I had to give like three or four honorable mentions. Then my favorite line. So Jeremy, what was your favorite line in the episode? <laughs> I think my favorite line in the episode had to be, and I know this is so simple, but just, you do not die. It was just so, the way it was delivered was just perfect. <laughs> it, I don't know. Yeah. It was, and I have to rewatch that. But didn't he before, it was like they were flashing between his Vulcan and human side because he did conjugate the first time he said it. I think he said, you don't die. And then he said, you do not die. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic stuff. It was really good. The way that was filmed as well was really good because it seemed like they did the thing they almost never do, which is to put you in the POV of the person being beamed. So you could kind of see the chaoticness of and hecticness right. of like, ah, we're in space, oh, we're yeah. effed. Wait a minute, transport a beam. Or inside the ship. <laughs> you know? So yeah, again, very much there. Great work from the director on that one. So uh, so my favorite line then, I'll give you the ones that almost made it first, which were um, when Mbenga and Spock were discussing emotions and Mbenga just says, you'll just have to learn to live with them like we all do. Oh, yeah, we've been there. <laughs> um, when Mbenga, as Spock kind of his heart rate accelerates and he leaves, Mbenga says, hmm, fascinating. And Chapel replies, isn't that supposed to be his line? <laughs> just, yeah. For a Trekkie, is just gold. Um, this is more to do with Carol Kane's delivery, I think, but it's the way that she delivers. Um, I'm not implying anything. I'm flat out saying that you, you know, you've broken several Starfleet regulations. You're trying to steal the Enterprise unless you're going to tell me this isn't what you do. <laughs> yeah, 17. You would remember, wouldn't you? <laughs> I like numbers. <laughs> Fair enough. But the, the actual winner for me, because it brings a tear to my eye, was the exchange at the very end. And again, it, it relates to what you were saying about the heart of the episode, Jeremy, which is between Spock and Pelia. Uh, when Pelia says, you want to know the worst thing about living almost forever? Spock, the loss of those you love. Pelia, oh, you sweet un-Vulcan Vulcan. No, that's the pain shared by all those who live with even a half-open heart. No, it's boredom. And on that chip of yours, there seems to be a shortage of that. I like it. I might even try to stick around. <laughs> that is such... And she didn't even say <laughs> it's boredom. She said it's boredom. Boredom. Yeah, exactly. She was very so, um, animated. Before we hit our conclusion score, I'm going to jump over to the audience interaction then and get the few audience responses to this. I promise we won't be much longer, guys. Sorry to keep you, but uh, yeah. So um, first of all, I, I do have to uh, open the section by saying I'm, I'm going to call this uh, Subspace Communications, I believe is the section name. Incoming transmission. I'm going to begin with DK's thoughts because he wasn't able to make it, but he did send me quickly his uh, initial very brief notes. He says, I'm not going to give a score because it's not fair, um, but my favorite character was Spock. My favorite scene was, <laughs> so that's another one for Spock. My favorite scene was Mbenga and Chapel. We've been in worse situations than this. And his favorite line was literally exactly the same as mine that I just read out. So uh, yeah, that was DK's thoughts on this. So he probably would have agreed, I think, with a lot of what you guys are saying. It's a shame he couldn't make it, but yeah, hopefully he's feeling better because it sounded rough what he was going through. Um, just going to the other things then. Uh, from Mastodon, Christopher Page says, I was fairly cool on season two overall. The opener set the pace for me. I was glad to see more recognizable Klingons, but the story felt so rushed. This felt more like something that would have been a season arc in another series. I'm getting tired with every character being made a badass. Mbenga having some more experience is fine. Making him and Chapel a two-member commando team maybe is a step too far. Mm. Okay. Um, ben Rothig, again on Mastodon, says, yeah, the whole Mbenga chapel part almost took me out of the episode, as did the ship. Thank you, Ben. Nerds unite. <laughs> um, 
and then Ben also said, I think the fact nominal support characters have a combat-related storyline is fine. Okay. Uh, Dex, D-A-K-K-A-Z-Z, says, I have no problem with that. It's early days. We don't know any of the new storylines, and the characters will pan out. Okay. Over on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it these days, uh, Robin Brownfield says, the only criticism I have of the episode was the fight scenes with Mbenga Chapel and the Klingons went in a little too long. Ethan Peck isn't Leonard Nimoy, but he's really stepped up to the plate as Spock. His performance in this episode was very impressive. Uh, and I have a couple from DK's friends. So this is from our friend Nick, who you've heard on the Silver Screen podcast, who just says, disobeying direct commands, breaking the rules, stealing the Enterprise, sure feels like Star Trek to me. <laughs> <laughs> and our friend Angela, who again has been on one of those episodes, just said, I absolutely love the new character, Commander Pellier, my kind of sarcastic attitude. If you're going to steal a starship, do it correctly. I hope I have her level of sass and sense of adventure when I'm in my 60s, never mind however old she is. It's interesting getting to learn some of Chapel and Mbenga's backstory from the war, although their adherence to the Hippocratic Oath seems somewhat flexible. Uh, then hiding the Enterprise as space junk. Where have I seen that before? Um, the Syndicate's false flag operation is very poignant, and it's nice to see the Vulcan loot harp thingy make a reappearance. And then she just says, and then attribute it to Nichelle in crying face, which I think we can all relate to. Uh, so that's uh, it from the audience then. So we have to just finish up the episode, uh, this podcast, with our own conclusions and score out of five Starfleet Deltas. So, again, Jeremy, I wouldn't put you on the spot and come first because this is probably news to you that you have to do this. No, but so I, I kind of figured it was going to – I can go first if you'd like. Okay, well, if, you, if yeah. you'd like, yeah, as, as the guest, yeah. if you want to go first. Yeah, so I give it three out of five Deltas because okay. even though I really liked it, there are far better episodes of this show. And I'm just right. thinking in the, in the um, perspective of this compared to other episodes of Strange New Worlds, although this was a very competent, very strong episode, there are episodes which are much more visceral in the emotions that they're able to bring out and right. episodes which, I mean, it was excellent to have a Spock related episode, but my entire thoughts when watching the first episode was, this is all well and good, but can't we get to the stuff with Una? That was right. my, that was, those are my thoughts. And I think that's an element that we need to remember is that they just kind of left that plot thread dangling for a week. And I understand why they did it. But at the same time, it does it did affect my enjoyment of the episode. And there were a few moments where I just thought, yeah, this is this is Star Trek, but it didn't it didn't feel like it was breaking much new ground. But I, I did like it. I liked it a lot. So, so you three said out three out three out of five, that's fair enough. Um Sandra, what about you? Do you have a conclusion on your score out of five? <clears throat> you know, my only gripe with this entire episode would be how quickly that Klingon folded when he was being questioned by Mbenga. But then again, he did have very weak forehead ridges. I give the... <laughs> also, Mbenga was currently all full-on Captain America, so he probably would have broken <laughs> his arm or something. <laughs> but aside from that, I give it a 4.5. I mean, my thoughts wow. throughout the whole episode were, you know, they've, they've done it again. I just loved the entire episode. <laughs> Awesome. Mm -hmm. I apologize that again, my conclusion will be the longest, most long winded. I try to keep them short, but then I just end up hitting review mode and it sounds like uh, a little pompous maybe, but let's hopefully, yeah, hopefully it makes sense and gathers my thoughts together. I just said, I get some very classic Star Trek vibes from this episode. At times it put me in mind of watching the original series or the first six movies. Ethan Peck continues to impress me with his performance as Spock, respecting and adding depth to my favorite character in all of Trek. 
Carol Kane is the best thing to happen to Star Trek in years, a bona fide legend whose presence elevates every scene she's in, or maybe I'm just a fan. Uh, the makeup and various special effects continue to impress me as well, feeling both recognizably Trek-like but subtly updated for the year that we're in. As a ship nerd, the whole crossfield class thing confused and annoyed me. I still don't get why that dialogue was included or not clearer. I also thought the episode began to sag in the middle and struggled a little bit to hold its focus and hold my attention. The Mbenga storyline was simply all kinds of bad. It came out of nowhere after not being mentioned last season. It jars tonally with the series it's in, and thanks to the magic strength potion, it's also pretty dumb as well as dark and a bit cruel for me. It doesn't help that with the season over, I know where it's going, and based on this, just this episode, I will say the jury was probably still out. All in all, definitely more positive than negative. A great start to the season and a good feeling, for the most part, of returning to my old Trek friend's comfort blanket. And I give it four out of five Starfleet Deltas as well. Um, so putting that together to work out the average then, the final score for this episode comes to 3.83 recurring. So we'll just round it and call it 3.8 out of five. So pretty good. I mean, not a, not a bad episode at all and not a bad score. So awesome. Uh, right. That concludes uh, our business for here today then. It's probably about time we got going. So again, apologies for keeping you guys longer. I could have probably stayed even longer and chatted all things Trek because I usually can. So, but uh, yeah, thanks for joining us for the first time, Jeremy. Have you had fun? <laughs> I've had a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Anytime. We'll have to have you back because honestly, I could honestly have chatted to you for hours about your thoughts on the various Trek things. Even when I don't agree, you, your your thoughts and feelings are genuinely well put together and uh, nice to listen to. So Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> so uh, do you have anywhere that where you can shout out that people can find you on the internet apart from this episode? <laughs> well, oh, well, um, I have a YouTube channel. I mean, I don't do a lot of Star Trek stuff. I love Star Trek, but uh, my main focus is Doctor Who. So if you like that, yeah. But also I like to sing on there and, and do all sorts of silly things. The thing about my channel is I don't really have a consistent thing that I do. It's just whenever I'm feeling adventurous, I'll do something. And most every one of my videos is different from the other. Like I, I never repeat something. And so that's probably why I don't have a massive amount of subscribers because they don't know what to expect from me and don't know why they should subscribe, <laughs> which is okay. I just like putting it out there in the world. Um, you might get but, some Star Trek fans dropping over there now. So you know. Maybe, maybe. But um, uh, also, uh, I have a Twitter, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you have at, an X. <laughs> an X, I think. Uh, it, at Jeremy K. Duncan 1. I, Unless yeah. you're listening to this in a few weeks, in which case that's probably folded by now. <laughs> oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. But it was really nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. No, thanks for being a great guest. And uh, on a similar note, thank you for stepping up to the co-hosting plate, Sandra, for me with DK being absent. <laughs> I could not quite fill his shoes, but yes, it was fun to help out. Awesome. Thank you so much for letting us ramble on and uh, for giving your thoughts as well on the episode. And I know I ask this every time, but do you have anywhere people can find you or is it just our Discord as usual? <laughs> just your Discord as usual. Fair enough. And uh, you can find all the links to myself, DK and the podcasts in the episode description, as I always say. Uh, do keep on uh, joining us here because we're back for the next few weeks to conclude our Klingon themed season. So we will be returning next week. DK will again be setting that one out, but that was scheduled, so don't worry. Uh, and we're going to be looking at the Discovery uh, opening episodes, the Vulcan Hello and Battle at the Binary Stars. So enjoy uh, that. And we do still have ongoing things on our sister podcast, Silver Screen Podcast. Uh, we just came out with a review of Power Rangers 2017, which is doing surprisingly well. That was entirely my passion project, which I expected to get about five views, and it's rocketed to about 250 odds so far. So you can still catch that and various other film reviews and, uh, and things over there. 
including some upcoming ones that DK is doing on cult films. I think he's got The Black Hole coming up. Big Trouble in Little China should probably be up by the time you hear this. And uh, yeah, lots of good things coming up. Tune to both the channels and uh, thanks again to my guests for joining me. It's been a fantastic one, even if it's been a bit long. And uh, do remember, we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. Or Kapla. <laughs> Live long and prosper. Kapla! You have been listening to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Additional material produced by DK. Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash timeless journey. The Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast is based on an idea by Michael Wilson and Will Templar. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Home Star Trek Podcast or look for the Hit or Miss Star Trek Podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast production, copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.